2: Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that is still bored shitless with the international break indeed, now, in the absence of meaning meaningful football. No pithy introduction by me this week, uh, but if there's one good thing about the international breaks, then it does afford us the opportunity to invite some of Patreon and Discord members to join us for the evening and have a good old Q&A session, which is precisely what we'll be doing for the next couple of hours. So the very dull title for tonight's show is Chelsea Fancast number 842. The Q&A show, another Q&A show, which was good fun last time we did it. Now, on this very show, I have to say, we have no JK. Suddenly, everybody leaves Zoom. Yes, he is that popular. No, JK has got the night off. He uh, he basically, apparently, I don't know what he's doing. He's doing a read-through of a play or something that he's going to be directing. And he asked for the night off. And as he does every show with me, the poor long-suffering bloke that he is, I gave him the night off. So it'll, you'll just, just have to put up with me tonight and uh, me and Mr. Marco Worrell, who I have to read this out as his introduction because I've just been surfing through Twitter a minute ago. Mark Worrell authored a few books sharing my legacy fan experience, supporting Chelsea FC, old punk rocker, new romantic, raver, raging against the dying of the light. I thought that was beautifully written, Marco.
3: Oh, kind of you,
2: sir. Very true as well. <laughs> How are you? How are you, youth? You well?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. I in uh, London town this afternoon, so Really? Yeah. Pleasant.
2: How how was it? Pleasant. Pleasantly warm. Good, good. Nice kind of autumnal, but not too cold yet. So we've got Marco on. Uh, and of course, the great thing about having Marco on is that, other than anything else you want to talk to us about, Chelsea, You can also talk to Marco about the huge amount, and when I say huge amount, a huge amount of books that he's either written or published uh, through his wonderful uh, publishing house, Gate 17 uh, Publishing, which of course is uh, named after the wonderful Gate 17 in the Matthew Harding upper stand where he and I both sit. So we've got Marco on. Uh, Marco, of course, one of the... uh, I have to express i was going to say one of the oldest members of the Chelsea fan cast family. I don't mean that because he's old i mean that he was probably one of oh, yeah. in fact he was he was actually really i think he was our first guest on the show so how about that? He's been mucking around with us a lot for since well two thousand and eight nine so there you go uh now we've also got the wonderful mark Meehan, uh who is relatively new to the fan cast but as uh, he's been kind of i don't know thinking of a a stellar transfer that uh, that Chelsea have made I don't know maybe maybe even dare we hope Romelu Lukaku but uh, Mark's been a brilliant acquisition uh, to the fan cast since he joined us and of course Mark uh, knows everything there is to know and probably stuff that is yet known or yet to be known by those yet to be discovered in the Amazon rainforest about Chelsea's history so you can ask him about anything about Chelsea's history. Mark good evening.
4: Good evening Chidge, good evening everybody, good evening people in Mixler thank you very much for that kind introduction and well done on that fantastic article in Football London over the weekend, Chidge, about banners and flags. What a yes. cracking article. Yeah. Well,
2: thank you for contributing so wonderfully to it. And I did tell you you got more quoted than everybody else, so don't not tell them that. But uh, well, no,
4: I think my people spoke to your people, and I think my rates were very good. They like, were. Yeah, I was free. Yeah.
2: And as I did say at the time, you do talk a lot. I do. You know, so your your transcription was twice as long as everybody else's. So it was the obvious obvious thing to use you more. But no, brilliant, well done, Mark. Because it was I, I really enjoyed writing that. But as to whether it was any cop or not, I suppose I ought to ought to ask our next guest, who apart from anything else, and lots of wonderful things about this chap, he's also kind of de facto my boss on football. London. So we've got the wonderful Adam Newson with us as well.
5: Thanks for having me, guys. As always, always enjoy coming on.
2: Yes, I, I won't, I won't embarrass you by asking you to comment on the article, but uh, it got a lot of love. That's all I'm saying, Adam. Um, now, as you know, Adam writes for uh, Football. Uh, dot London, the Chelsea angle, of course. So you can ask Adam about anything about football because he knows far more than the others, other three of us. Uh, but also uh, you can ask him about what it's like to be a a, a journalist covering Chelsea. Uh, I I should probably be asking him some questions about that too. So we have a very good panel, uh, and uh, I'm going to really enjoy doing this show. But of course, before I say anything else, uh, uh, by way of a little bit of an idea about what we might talk about tonight, I mean, literally, we have absolutely no idea what you're going to ask us tonight. Uh, So in a podcasting sense, we're flying commando. Uh, But nothing is off limits, uh, and I would imagine that topics such as which Chelsea players have impressed or disappointed so far in the season, how does Tommy Tuchel get our attack gelling with Lukaku, uh, Ruben Loftus Cheek, has he solved the midfield dilemma, and of course the recent nomination of no less than five Chelsea players in the Ballon d'Or may all feature tonight. Uh, But as I said, you know, we've got Marco about the books, Mark about the history, Adam about working. On uh, football dot London, I suppose if you want to ask me anything, you can ask me the best place to buy me a pint of Guinness. I'll be very happy to answer that one. So there you go. Now, as ever, don't forget uh, we do this live every Monday, which you all know I know, and uh, uh, we do it on Mixler. And uh, I I would imagine there's loads of people in Mixler at the moment. I haven't actually checked because I've been a bit lazy tonight. We've got loads of people in there. CFC Blue Cap Rob Coombe Gesso 19 from sunny Florida. Uh, English Dan, Chev, Daryl. Daryl's in here too. I'm going to get onto that in a minute. So usual suspects are in Mixer. They too can ask questions. I'm very happy for them to do that as they're here loyally every week. Uh, But first dibs will be going to the guests that we have on tonight. And they are, in no particular order, you can all unmute yourselves and say hello when I introduce you. Um, They are the wonderful Daryl. Lovely to see Daryl. We've got Brian Justman from the States. Hey. Good to see you, Brian. Look, Jason Gasworth, also from the States. Good evening, everybody. What's going on? Oh, we're good. We're good. And uh, we got Matthew, who I know he's from Rhode Island, because that's what the RI and RI Blue stands for, doesn't it, Matthew?
1: Yes, it does. Good afternoon, everyone.
2: Good to see you, my friend. We've got Oscar, who I also saw in the Chelsea Sports Trust AGM on Saturday. Oscar, how are you? Good evening, all. Good evening. Well, thank you. Lovely to see you. We've got the absolutely wonderful Yarin Levy from Israel, who's uh, been to many of these before. Good to see you, Yarin. Hi everyone. There we go. We have got the lovely Prasanth, who I've not managed to see in a Q and A before, but I've conversed with for many years on Twitter and things like that. How are you, Prasanth? You're doing good, guys. And <coughs> I've given like a sick day off so (laughs) i'm maintaining that look (laughs) you don't have to keep coughing i mean you know you're you're amongst friends here we know we know that you're pulling a sicky, but uh, it's good to see you mate now uh, see you all you you too mate and we have the legend of the discord group i I say this not lightly It, it is mr stick he's known as mr stick on discord but in real life he is brandon lovely to see you brandon
1: lovely to see everyone
2: there we go and uh We've got Kenroy, who's probably now at work because he's turned his video off. But uh, we're saying hello to you, Kenroy. I know we said hello to you a minute ago. Oh, hello. He's back. Hello, Kenroy. Hello. from hello, everybody. From the Golden Isle that is St. Lucia. One of my favorite places in the world and not just because of the rum. Uh, we've got Matthew Young with us. We've got Ryle Tompleson and we've got Gabrielle and we've got the lovely Chev in here as well. And, uh, uh, Pierre was here a while ago i don't know where he's gone yes. uh, P- sorry it? no yeah i'm here i, oh, there we are. In, I missed yeah yep. sorry about that I, I i i told you it's going to be hard for me to like you know i'm old i can't cope with it. it's like being in minority report without the intelligence so uh bear with me but there we go so we got a good crowd in tonight plus all the mix of people of course um so uh yeah let's get on with it. actually um i've got actually kenroy if you are able to and i know you're at work and i don't want to get you fired But you did have a question, didn't you, for JK? But actually, I think it'd be quite fun to ask, uh, certainly Mark and uh, Marco, if you want to ask it, about about the hazards, and it's quite relevant. And I might spin that out to Adam and see what he thinks about the rumours today, but go on.
0: Oh, we're straight into it. Yeah, go Um, for it, mate. uh, I was asking, what was I asking? Yeah, I was asking, how does uh, Mickey Hazard compare to Eden Hazard? (laughs)
2: <laughs> Marco laughed first, so your turn first, mate. The
3: reason I laugh is that um, on, the, on the at the CFC UK match day stall, um, we get quite a few um, people whose knowledge about Chelsea is is um, is limited, should we say? And um, Mickey Hazard. Uh, we passed off quite a few times as Eden Hazard's dad. Um, <laughs> which was mildly entertaining and could quite be possible in terms of timelines. I thought Mickey Hazard was um, he was quite a decent player for us. Suspect ankles. Um, yeah.
2: They've got something in common with Eden, then. What's that? He's got something in common with Eden Hazard, then, if he's got... If oh, he yeah, had, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he was, wasn't he, Mark? Um, you know, I always thought it was, it was. I mean, we talked about this on the Fifty Years Show recently, didn't we, Mark? And uh, he was kind of, he was a bit of a kind of square peg in a round hole at Chelsea, wasn't he? Because he was kind of brought in to, to, to really, you know, try to make us play beautiful football. But it, 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 at a time when, when that was a, a bit of a, a, a long shot, shall we say, that time had passed, hadn't it, really?
4: Yeah, because we, we talked about it a few times about Mickey Hazard. I liked Mickey Hazard. He was here for about four or five seasons. And I can't remember whether or not it was John Hollins that signed him or, you know, John Neal that signed him. But he mainly played under the John Hollins reign. Uh, and it was quite strange, really, because he was a great passer of ball and, you know, and, and he could sort of connect uh, the defence and attack really well and had an eye for a killer pass. But he didn't play enough football. Uh, and I always thought the real key moment in Nicky Hazard's Chelsea career, and I think we did talk about it on the 50 Years show, is when we played the FA Cup up at Old Trafford. Um, and when, when you think, you go back to the 80s, we were more of a cup team and we never in a shout with the league. So going up to Man United was a big thing. We bought about 10,000 up to Old Trafford because we always got excited about the FA Cup. And Hazard and Nevin were on the bench. And I just thought it was one of the most strangest things John Holland's ever did in his you know, time as Chelsea manager. That if you go to Man United, the two players you'd want to have in the team, because they're game changers, was Hazel and Nevin. And by the time he brought them on, the game was done. Yeah. You know, I think the other side as well as yeah, you know, Mickey Hazard, yes, he, he did pick up the odd injury, you know, yeah, you Pat know, playing the style of football he did. You know, he did get fouled quite frequently. But I think it was a real shame because, you know, the, the tail end of his fourth or fifth year, which he didn't play a lot of football. I can't remember, you know. I think did we sell him at Portsmouth? I know we bought him from Tottenham, but I think we I think we sold him to Pompey. Yeah. Yeah. And I I, I don't know after that, yeah, where, where his career went. But I think for a short period of time, some of the football, you know, we were playing with Hazard's side was a joy to watch. A bit like Mickey Fillory in some respects. Yeah, a beautiful left foot, but I don't think he really truly got the chance he should have got. And yeah, I think timeline, it probably would work. He could easily beat Eden's dad.
2: Yeah, I've got a I've got a great uh, story about Mickey Hazard that has absolutely nothing to do with Chelsea, you'll not be surprised to hear. And I know Oscar's got one too, and I'm going to let Oscar tell us in a minute about his story. But uh, I was producing a, a football program for Nuts TV, uh, funnily enough, just before I started doing the fan cast. Uh, the two were not related, I, I hasten to add. But um, we got Mickey on as a guest, and uh, he turned up in his cab about... Uh, And I shouldn't have, you know, been grumpy about this. I wasn't grumpy about it, really. But he turned up about two hours before he was supposed to, you know, be there. And I used to get my guests in a good half an hour, an hour before the show kicked off. Uh, Obviously, old habits die hard, you know, because I panic about people not turning up. Um, Anyway, Mickey turns up about two hours before the show starts. He turned up in his cab and he had this kind of white hoodie. It looked like it had had the pursal wash to it. Probably won't mean anything to our American chums. But he turns up in this white hoodie and a T-shirt, some knackered old jeans and trainers and a massive gold chain around his neck. And he's got this lovely Geordie accent, which I I won't embarrass myself by trying. I said, Mickey, mate, it's brilliant that you're here, but you're, you're about two hours too early, mate. Um... And what are you going to do? You know, he said, oh, don't worry, lad. I'll, I'll just go out on my cub and do a few more jobs, and then I'll be back here about half an hour before the show starts." And I said, "Yeah, all right, mate." And he and he and he just he just went off, did a few more jobs, and came back. He was bang on time, half an hour, and he was great. He was as good as gold, lovely, lovely bloke. But I have to say, in my experience of him recently, he's he's gone he's gone back to the dark side. He's very much a Tottenham boy now. But then again. I think he had a better career there, didn't he? Really. Anyway, Oscar, share your story with us because I think you 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 played with him or something.
6: Oh, thanks, chid. Yeah, um, in a charity game in Watford, um, uh, one of my mates about eight years ago, maybe we on an annual thing we used to have ch- charity game, We used to invite ex-pros. Indeed, one one game we actually played with Kerry Dixon. so That was my claim to fame. Um, but on this particular time, we played with um, Mickey Hadzibud. Mickey Hadzibud uh, was quite Tottenham. There was an Aussie ID list in Mickey Wheeler. But in terms of Mickey Hazard, he was re- really friendly. And even though he wasn't mobile, he could still pass the ball, dictate the play. He still had it, so to speak. Yeah. But he was a top, top man. Really, really friendly, really helpful.
2: Yeah. That's really a- nice. absolutely yeah. my memory of him as well, Oscar. He's a, he was a, lo- he's a lovely bloke. Really nice, down to earth, lovely bloke. So there you go. Now, Adam, of course, uh, won't have seen Mickey Hazard play. Am I right, Adam? Yeah, correct. And there we go. But you certainly saw. Uh, the other eden uh, the other hazard play eden hazard and there's been all sorts of i'm going i was thinking of a word to describe it before we came on air, and the word i came up with was piffle what's this piffle about eden hazard returning to uh, chelsea mate you're the you're the journo you've got your finger on the pulse
5: i well first i find it quite ironic that after years of chelsea having to endure international breaks linking eden with the move to real madrid that now every international break there's a speculation he's coming back to chelsea so i'm enjoying that I'm, to be honest i don't think there's a, a whole load in it um the report in spain today that it was it was being pushed by roman which is really difficult to know um, at the best of times really what roman wants so um i'm i'm not hugely um confident that anything that would happen so it's a strange one though I wrote actually, you know, I'm plugging a piece here, but I wrote a piece that went off on Football London this uh, this this evening about Eden. And personally, from a fan's perspective, more than probably a reporter, I'm just not sure I want him to come back and be less than he was. I just think you'd end up in that position of of whenever you talk about Eden being being almost to the point of going, oh yeah, Eden, he was great that first time round, second time round, early injuries, or, or he just wasn't the same. And I don't think he needs that to a Chelsea legacy. Um he had seven great seasons, won a load of trophies, was was the shining light at some dark times as well. Um in this team. So kind of leave him be, let him see if he can work it out at Real Madrid. And as I always said when when he's retired, then welcome him back with open arms. But until then I think it's time just to to leave him where he is and let him try and, and work it out at Real.
2: Yeah. I mean Marco, you were as as ever fairly tranchant on, on Twitter about this. You would agree with Adam, I think.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um I mean, I, I said this the last time this this rumour surfaced. You know, he was a top-top player for Chelsea. He wanted to realise his dream of going to play for Real Madrid, cost him a Champions League winner's medal. And, you know, he lives in our memories now, and thanks for that. But um, no more. The world at Chelsea's moved on. I'd rather see, you know, some of the youngsters um, progress through the first to the first team or get more chances in the first team than, um, you know, have, have yeah. Eden Hazard join join the other flat track bully we've got up front. So we beat Norwich 12-0 and uh, struggle against the, you know, the, the elite teams. So yeah, no, I, I'd, I'd rather just remember him for what he brought to the
2: club in his peak. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Mark, I, I feel a weeny bit hypocritical here because you know I'm sure I said it on the show the other week I might have, might have even written about it but you know I think the one thing that Chelsea do miss and and, and the, the best way to describe it is saying we miss a player like Hazard as in a proper number 10 who can fashion goals chances out of nothing uh, and, and really be that link between the midfield and the attack that we clearly miss at the moment so I'm inclined to go hmm Yes, I'm tempted. But actually, you know what? I, I agree with Marco and Adam. I'm kind of, you know, he was brilliant for us, but that was the past and we need to move on. But would you agree with that?
4: Yeah, I would. And I think, you yeah, know, Adam was right as well. I think this cropped up uh, an international break last year as well. And I think we said at the time, you know, as lovely as the idea of Eden Hazard would coming back. A, we didn't think it was going to happen. And B you know, where Chelsea are now, you know, he'd be coming back and he wouldn't be a first team choice. Possibly he'd be a squad player. And I'm sure that's not necessarily the the right legacy for Eden Hazard. You know, especially, you know, we have, we have got players, you know, you know, like, like Mount, like Havertz, like Pulisic when he's fit, that can be those game changers, you know? So, you know, as, I, as much as I'd love to see him back, I just, I think it's a non-runner. I think it's a non-story.
2: Excellent. Now, um, If any of you other uh, Patreons and Discord people want to chip in at all, at any time this evening, just put your hand up or do the little electronic hand so I can see and and then, you know, I'll I'll call you in and you can just take yourself off mute and chip in if you want. But I'm going to move on because we had a brilliant question. I, I mean, this is the thing. I love questions like this. As everybody knows, you know, give me questions like this any day of the week rather than actually talk about the football. And I'm happy. Uh, and who, I'm surprised, actually. I'm, I'm absolutely delighted and surprised that it was Mr. Stick or the lovely Brandon who asked it. Can you remember what the question was, uh, Mr. Stick, or do you want me to read it out?
7: Yeah, I've got it. Um,
2: okay.
1: Really, I'm just interested as a statesman here in American what what the seating at Stanford Bridge is like. You know
7: where's really good, where's not so good, where it might be rowdy, where you might get in a fight, where people will be singing, where people won't be singing, um, with an eye towards hopefully someday making it to the grounds. And and let's just say I'll probably be in the rowdy section.
2: So um, I think that's a great question actually, and you're right. I think a lot of people want to know this kind of stuff, particularly people who've never come come uh, to a game. I'm going to read the whole list out that you gave because one of them absolutely. I'm going to ask them... What, we could make this really, really long. So I'm going to read them all out in one go and then get the boys to answer them as they see fit. So Mr. Stick wants to know, Mark and, uh, and Adam and uh, Marco, where's the loudest place at Stamford Bridge? Where are the away fans? Where might he get into a fight? That's an interesting one to answer. I've got my own particular answer for that. Where are the best seats? Where are the seats not so great? Uh, where can he stand in his seat, and where is close to the concessions? I'm going to ask Marco first. And if you need me if, me, if you need me to remind you, just holler, and I'll let you know.
3: Oh, I'm trying to remember all the questions
2: there. Well, so first one's loudest.
3: Okay, the loudest. Uh, well, we um, we sit in gate 17 for league games, and we we have to move um, for Champions League games. Um, for some weird reason related to uh, security and the TV cameras. So we always go on tour around the around the ground and sit in different places. And I have to say, um, my favourite place is the Shed Upper. If I can get a seat um, just by where the away fans are, uh, that, that's, that's the best place, I think, in terms of volume, certainly, um, and banter with the away fans. So... Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely say shed up a, on a on a big European night couldn't couldn't comment for for a league game but it's pretty good from where we sit the noise coming out of there. Um best most comfortable seats, best seats. Uh I think Mr. Meehan and I watched the Leicester City home game um at the back end of last season which was uh capacity restricted because of COVID. Virtually on the halfway line in in the uh, the West View, as it's called. Ooh. Yeah, so uh, that's quite good. And um, <clears throat> I think back in about twenty years ago, I was working for Siemens, who were the official mobile phone suppliers at the time, and um, they had one of the Millennium boxes. And believe it or not, for a company that had ten thousand employees in, in the UK at the time, every every match day, I'd get a phone call. Um, usually about half an hour before kickoff, saying, "Mark, do you, do you, do you, you and any of your friends want to come in the box? Because the MD doesn't want to see it empty." Um, so that, that was a pretty good view from um, sort of that middle tier in 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 the West Stand. Um, I think uh, in terms of, I don't know, where you're most likely to get into a fight. Um, <laughs> it depends, I think anywhere it depends it depends on what you say <laughs> i've I've seen, it, I've seen it go off in in sections of in, in pretty much every section of the ground between chelsea supporters if somebody's said something defamatory about a player um that's got the the needle of somebody watching then it, you know there's there's usually Something happens. So that that's the way it normally starts with people not getting behind the team or being too abusive.
2: Um, what were the other questions? I can't Which seats are not so great? Where can he stand and where where is close to the concessions?
3: So you can stand. Um Well, I think people stand where they want. People don't actually stand where we are, do they, Chidge? No, we're, we're all too old, mate. Yeah, so, I, I
2: do. To be fair, I do because I quite often go on the little platform at the back. So I
3: think, I think maybe from row 14 back in the lower, Matthew Harding people have stood up, um, and, and ditto in, in the shed for most games in, in the lower tier of the shed. Uh, nearest the concessions, um, what, what are the concessions? I, I don't understand that. The bar, oh, the bar. Well, I have to say this, and I have to say that Gate 17 is perhaps the smallest section um, in in the stadium because it's the infill section uh, between the Matthew Harding and the East Stand. So it came, came to, late, to life late in the ground. It's got its own little entrance. It's got its own little bar. Um, so, yeah, you, you don't have to wait too long to get served in there. So that's pretty good. Um is that it? Was there any more?
2: Um where are the seats not so great?
3: seats not so great. I think um the if you're at the back of the lower tier of the shed towards um towards that section where the players and their families sit, you can have an ob there's an obstructed view there. Um and then if you're behind any of the the the, the the pillars that, that can sort of affect the view. Um, yeah, I, I vaguely recall, I think, sort of the, the back of the lower Matthew Harding has a similar kind of uh, obstructive view in terms of not being able to get a, a, a full perspective of um, what's going on. I have to say, and I'm biased again here, I, I think the view we've got is... I, I, I like the view... The view in the middle of the, the West Stand is fantastic. But if you want to get a perspective on a game and sort of look down on it um, and not not be put off by the fact that you're you know, in line with a view, you've just got kind of that diagonal view of the, what's going on, where we are in Gate 17, which is the upper tier of the Matthew Harding on diagonal, is pretty decent.
2: I'm not going to argue with that one at all. In fact, actually, I would go so far as to say that Marco, my view, is slightly better than yours because I'm absolutely yeah. on the diagonal. where oh, yeah. you're, you're a bit over, but uh, the the other joy about where I sit is I can actually, as you probably don't know this, but I can actually see Marco on a match day and wave to him, and <laughs> I, occasionally I do. You know, so it's very lovely. Uh, Mark, um, what say you on these? Do you want me to remind you of the of, of Mr. Stick's very long list? I'll, I'll,
4: I'll try my best, and if I miss any, remind me. I think it's a great question, Isn't Yeah, Uh, and I was just thinking of all the years going, I think there's only two parts of the ground now I haven't sat in or stood in. That's the away fans. Obviously, I couldn't go in there, so I'd get thrown out. Um, And the west middle. Um, So I've I've covered most parts of the ground. My season ticket is in the Matthew Lower. So I think the first one, I would say that's where the greatest atmosphere is, because everyone stands up there pretty much in the Matthew Harding Lower. I'd say second atmosphere is probably the shed upper, um, um, I, I would say where I like sitting, obviously my season's hitting Matthew Harding lower and Marco made reference to it. Um, I actually like sitting in the West End uh, and I, like Marco, move around for cup games and Champions League games, not because I'm, I'm moved because of television or safety or UEFA. I just like moving around. Um, uh, and from a promising point of view, which I've never really got, Is the pricing um, for Champions League games is very good and very reasonable? That you could have this ridiculous situation where we played Man City the other week, um, and they'll probably charge something like seventy pounds to sit in the the West Lower, but you can probably go there in a couple of weeks and see Juventus for thirty five quid. So, like that, that's a Champions League game. So, again, if anyone was coming over and looking to sort of price it. you know, cup games and Champions League games are cheaper than league games, so that's probably, uh, if you wanted to come over for the first time, I'd encourage that. Where there's likely to be a fight, um, could be anywhere in the ground, <laughs> more likely outside of the ground. But actually, I, I I didn't quite see a fight the other week, and this ties into where can you stand. Obviously, with the rail seating now in the Matthew Harding lower, uh, shed low and shed upper, uh, you've still got that dilemma between... You, know, you can't actually physically stand you know at football games you're not meant to uh, but everyone now assumes that you can but that's going to come in in january so i witnessed this situation the other week where someone at the front of the stand stands up and then you have the domino effect going backwards where everyone stands up behind uh, and near to where i was sitting this yeah you know, one old boy says to this younger guy a couple of times boy you know well sit down And he says, well, I can't sit down, mate, because the guy in front of me is standing up and the guy in front of him, et cetera, et cetera. For some reason, he directed his angst because he couldn't see because he was sitting down, not standing up against this young guy. Uh, And they were arguing and arguing and arguing like, oh, like And next thing, the two of them disappeared downstairs for about 20 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know what happened. I can assume what might have happened where punches might have been thrown. I I don't know. But one of them never came back for the second half. So I don't know. Which which
2: one? Which one?
4: The younger guy, but I don't know whether he just went and stood somewhere else with his mates because thinking, what, what's the point of arguing? Because you're in that difficult situation, 95% of the Matthew Harding lower stand, but understandably, and you gave the example yourself, like you know, in Matthew Harding upper, you know, there will be that start 5% that will still sit down because it's an age thing, perhaps, perhaps or, you know, whatever, they're too old. And I sympathise with that, I'm, I'm old myself. So there's potential conflict where we are fighting with our own fans Never mind fighting with the opposition fans. Uh, concessions. I don't really drink at Stamford Bridge. I can't stand single beer. I think mean, it's awful, uh-huh. uh, and I don't think down the years Chelsea have had many good beers that they've sold there. So I tend to my do my drinking outside the ground rather rather than in inside the ground. Um, uh, what else did we have? Um, in terms of seats, views, um, a bit like what Mark has said. I think the back of most stands aren't necessarily great. Um, the back of the Harding lower definitely, with um, the rail sitting, they've taken seats out because you could hardly see anyway. But you can see even less now um, at the very back of the Matthew Harding. As good as the West view is, and that's the new corporate upper tier. Uh, and I said I like sitting there for cup games, Champions game, going... The back of it is a bit too far back. Um, I think if you're sitting in the, the west upper, I'd say in the front, six or seven rows. Same for east upper. East upper at the front is really good, but up the back, it's it's not not so great. I think anywhere in the shed is pretty much a good view. And then shed lower, any of the lower first couple of rows, not so good because you're almost beneath the pitch. But in most parts of Stamford Bridge, I think you get a great view in, in most places. You know, uh,
5: Did I miss anything, and- Chuck?
2: I think, I think you're there, mate. Um, yeah. Adam, you've got a very privileged view from where you sit.
5: Yes, I do now. Um, it's a very good view, to be fair. Uh, you get to hear what Thomas Tuchel says a lot when he's shouting at people. So, um, so yeah, no, uh, the press area's in a really good position. Um, but as a fan, I've sat in pretty much every stand, I think, um, at some point, um, because I've not actually ever had a season ticket because of what I do. It um, means I can't get to a lot of games. Um Loudest is probably, I'd say, Matthew Harding, predominantly the lower. Um, where the away fans, I think, was one of them, uh, was sort of shed east, um, sort of spanning halfway across potentially sometimes. Or what I never agree with Chelsea is giving the whole uh, shed to away fans. Sometimes that really does rankle with me, but I'm not sure if it's something they have to do because of allocation. Um, where are the best seats? Besides the press box, I would always say Matthew Harding and probably Matthew Harding lower, just because you'll get the best atmosphere then and, and probably the feel for what it is to be a season ticket holder. Going every week, if, if you if you're coming just for a one-off game, you get the best feel for it. Um, seats not great. Never buy a restricted view seat down for bridge. There's no point. You're better off watching it at home. To be honest, um, it's you get the atmosphere, but I think there's a as Mark said, they removed a few a couple of rows at the back of the matthew harding lower now um but before then you could literally just have a letterbox for you and it was kind of pointless um what am i
2: forgetting where would you what would you are you likely are you more likely to have a fight in the press box than anywhere else in the ground <laughs> or something like that
5: potentially in the press box yeah depends who's in it um <laughs> i i so say i've been going to chelsea probably one near as long as you guys but since i was a kid and i've never seen a fight inside the ground um so I'm, i would say outside I, i've I, I don't think you're going to see anything major inside the ground at this point um and in terms of concessions stanford bridge has loads of stuff you could buy overpriced food and drink from
2: so yeah indeed good work adam right i'm now i'm, I'm aware that that both pierre and uh uh, Jason want to chip in I'm presuming it's about this so what I'm going to do boys is I'm going to no okay so Pierre is it about this would you want to chip in now Pierre and then I'll I'll give you my answers
8: sure thanks I was just going to say the seats you got us were fantastic you felt really close to the action um, seeing Trevor Chlover score was amazing Um, But also I almost inadvertently got into a fight because uh, (laughs) (laughs) not because I was just by the way fans, but because because it was so close and it was my first time, I had to get the steward to tell me where 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 my seat was. Um, And because it was block four, he didn't realize block four was still in the home end. So he almost ushered me through the white doors into the away end until another steward sort of noticed as he was doing it um, and quickly stopped him and said, no, 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 it's, it's here. But I've almost ended up in the in the away end, which would have been interesting. <laughs> yeah,
2: it was only Southampton Pier. You'd have been all right, mate. Trust me. But yeah. uh, Mark, you want to come in quickly?
4: Yeah, just thinking about fights. Um, yeah, uh, I've only seen one this season. Um, that uh, I like. Well, I physically saw the fight. We played Tottenham in the mind pre-season friendly, and I was in Westview Upper, and there was an interloper. There was a Tottenham fan in there. And he made the mistake of, you know, sort of celebrating Tottenham scoring. And this fight broke out. And I think it subsequently appeared on social media afterwards. Yeah. So that's another reason for fighting is actually when you have away fans sitting in the home section. And that does happen quite often. Well,
2: particularly with Liverpool. Yes. They always manage to get in there. Adam?
5: I have sat in the away fans at Stamford Bridge twice uh, for Chelsea games. Once was when uh, I was a lot younger. And my brother was is a season to get a hold uh, at Watford and Watford away, uh, and he got me a ticket and I sat there and watched Chelsea win 4-0, which was very entertaining. And the second one was uh, a few years ago when Chelsea lifted the league under Conte, uh, Sunderland at home, I couldn't get a ticket, but fortunately someone I knew could get me one if I sat in the uh, in the Sunderland. And so um, I pretty much was the only one left come the trophy lift in the Sunderland and I was just sat there trying not to look too conspicuous. Um, but yeah. Uh. It's uh, you get a good view from up there as well. To be fair, so way fans aren't too hum-
3: hard 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 done by.
2: Brilliant, I love that. All right, so my take on this, uh, Mr. Stick, um, the loudest, as far as I'm concerned, is the Matthew Harding lower. I'm um, sorry, people in the shed, but the Matthew Harding lower is the bollocks for for atmosphere, particularly on a on a decent game, and it's a joy to be there when when it is. Um, the away fans, I don't think any of us answered that, but that's pretty obvious. They're, they're in, if you're looking at the shed end, they're in the left-hand side of the shed, both the upper and the lower tier. Uh, and they used to be, as I think Adam was saying, they used to be in the lower tier of the east stand. Uh, until Jose Mourinho moaned about it, saying that they had an undue uh, influence on the referees. So they got moved to the shed end, which is, let's face it, bloody sacrilegious and every, uh, well, sporadically, the Chelsea Sports Trust and others moan to the board about this, saying we need them moved out of our, you know, spiritual home. And they all go, no, no, no. It's much easier to shepherd them in and out of the shed end, so shut up. But it's wrong. I, I did actually suggest once at, at a board, at a meeting with the Chelsea FC board that they should be moved to Craven Cottage, but they didn't really look kindly on that for some reason. Can't think why. I think that was an excellent solution.
4: Um <laughs> Before the shed end, uh, before the east um, lower, they are actually in the
2: east um, east upper. Yeah, you... they yeah. were, yeah.
4: weren't they? I think that that was probably the best place for them. They were they were far enough away to have any kind of influence,
2: apart from lobbing things down to people below. That's true. Which is, but I know... never sat in the east here, so it never bothered me. Me neither, mate. <laughs> um, so uh, where might I get in a fight? Well, I think the boys have really covered this very very well. The reality I'm is. Right. The reality is, you're more, much more likely to, you know, have a scrap inside the ground these days, and and, and sad to say, quite often with Chelsea supporters having a disagreement uh, amongst themselves. But Mark's definitely right. Um, you do get a few interlopers, and if you're a Liverpool fan and you make your presence known, you get a slap. You know, I mean, it's that simple. I have to say that I mean, I'm not sure if the boys will remember this. One of the funniest things I've ever seen at Stamford Bridge, and it's just got to be I don't know, getting on for 20 years ago now. But somebody from the Matthew Harding Lower decided to do a one man pitch invasion. For the life of me, because I'm not Mark Mean or Kelvin Barker, for the life of me I cannot remember the minute of the game that it was in. Uh but I do remember vividly this this bloke, quite a fat bloke as it as it happens, but he ran onto the pitch. I can't remember why, I can't remember how far he got, but he evaded capture by the Stewards, and he ran all the way back in, jumped over the uh the uh the, the hoardings and the Matthew Harding lower. And it would have been to the if you're looking at the Matthew Harding lower kind of the left hand side, in kind of in between the corner flag and the goal, about halfway between that. Anyway, he he launched himself over the hoardings and ran up towards one of the exits, and just uh, about I don't know four or five seats before the exit, one Chelsea fan really very pissed off with the fact that this chap had you know, interrupted the game and made an ass of himself. Basically, this guy's running up the stairs and this bloke just like walloped him full on the face as he ran up the stairs. He didn't see it coming at all, knocked him out. And it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I don't know if that qualifies as a fight, but it, it did make me laugh. Uh, and I do remember about three or four seasons ago, uh, some Man United fans were being far too cocky and they, as they were exiting the shed end. And I think they'd lost, actually. I think it might have been the 4-0 uh, I hope it was, but they were not very happy. And one of them came over and picked on somebody. Uh, and I'm kind of walking out uh, along the back of the East east Stand, you know, with a cop, not the cop, from the Millennium Hotel, just about to go under the arches there. And anyway, this Man United fan broke ranks and tried to pick on somebody, at which point three Chelsea fans thought, no, we're not having that, and literally all hit him at the same time, which was, again, like a cartoon and quite funny. So there you go. Enough of violence. We're not here for the violence. Uh, The best seats. um, Well, Marco's right. Where where Marco and I sit, we are absolutely privileged. Uh, They are just it's just a brilliant view. If you want to have a a kind of a top down length of pitch view, you're not going to find many seats better than where Marco and I sit. And we do, as he as he said, have our own private entrance, which is very good for turning up late when you've been in the pub for too long. And we have our own private bar. Uh, The only trouble with that is that everything that they sell is absolute shit, uh, particularly the Singer Beer. But we have our own private bar, it has to be said. However, the best seats that I've sat in, um, well, JK and his uh, kind of weird corporate hospitality tickets that he has, he's got front row seats just to the uh, left-hand side, looking at the east stand uh, in the middle tier, uh, just above the dugout. And it's brilliant there. But I have to say the best seat that I've sat in at Stanford Bridge, um, my wife uh, worked for Capital One a few years back. And uh, as you know, they used to sponsor the Capital One trophy or the, or the League Cup in, in old money. And uh, she got to I don't know how she, she said, oh, do you want to come to the game with me? I've got corporate tickets. I said, yeah, all right. You know, I'd rather sit with my mates. But as I love you, I'll go what she didn't tell me was that she was hosting she had a table in the directors lounge and the only so there were two two tables one that sarah was hosting and the other where um several board directors all of whom i knew were on the other table hosting the bolton wanderers as it happened to be bolton the bolton wanderers directors and i'm sitting there laughing my head off thinking what am i doing in here and we had seats right in right in the middle of the west middle in the front, and uh, apart from the fact that the food was wonderful, it was a great view. And uh, I, I liked sitting there with the astonishing look on three of the board directors' faces of what on earth I was doing there. But there you go. So they were the best seats I've sat in. Um, again, the boys are right. There are some restricted view seats, notoriously in the shed lower at the back and the Matthew Harding lower at the back. But uh, the the one that they didn't mention, and I happened to lumber myself with a ticket here once, was right up towards the back of the E stand and uh, behind a flaming pillar. And I literally... And this was a, this was an infamous match. This was where we lost, I think, something like 5-4 to Newcastle. It was when Josh McCreckran made his debut. And I couldn't see the Matthew Harding uh, end goal. So I basically decided that actually Chelsea had won that match 3-1 or something because I hadn't seen any of the goals in the Matthew Harding end. But it was a it was terrible i had no idea that you could get seats that were well, you literally you just had a pillar in front of you and you couldn't see the matthew harding end goal um i mean really you can stand anywhere i mean you get you get a, you know a lot of people giving you a hard time if you stand up in the upper tiers quite understandably but they've got rail seats now in the shed lower and the uh, matthew harding lower and although it's not yet legal to stand nobody's going to really mind too much particularly if everybody does it so if you want to stand that's where you go i'm very lucky because i sit pretty much at the back of uh, gate 17 and there's a little platform uh, just to the right of me and i quite often will go and stand up there and i have to say my enjoyment of the games when i do that is much much improved so i can even though i'm old and it takes it out of me it's much better so i think that's about it really so i hope that uh answered your questions now i know jason had his hand up so jason clearly wants to ask a question
9: i can't take it down i don't know how to take it down is that
2: what the question was
9: <laughs> no not at all <laughs> sorry about that
2: you were you were basically question, experimenting jason
9: weren't you a little bit yeah i'll just i'll just stand here and do this for a couple hours do you want I had to a question for, go on yeah i had a question for adam uh the journo um what is the rep for the club as it takes care of the press or whatever they're called over there is it good, bad? Do they sort you out with parking on site? I don't even know. Like, you know, there's press parking at the stadiums here in the States and uh, food, free food lounges, great seats. Like, how does it work over there? And, and are there other clubs that are that do it better or worse? Uh, just a logistical type question.
5: Uh, in terms of parking, I think it's incredibly hard just because of where Chelsea is in London. Like Parking in London is atrocious anyway. Yeah, um, I, so I was <laughs> I don't curious think. where people park to, when they drive to a game. Oh, I, like, I always get a train to stand for bridge, yeah. except for during uh, lockdown when I could park quite easily. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's incredibly difficult for Chelsea to, to do that for the press. In terms of the press food at Chelsea is probably the best in the Premier League. Um, oh. The spread that journalists get is quite frankly, ludicrous um, and we're very privileged to get it every time we go to Stamford Bridge. So, um, yeah, we're, we're very lucky. Um, most press food across the Premier League is OK, um, but Chelsea take it up to another level. There's literally just like three tables and it's a buffet. You can take as much as you want. And, um, and yeah, so in that respect, you get looked after very well by Chelsea. Um, I would say, and I'm not trying to brown those because I don't think anyone would listen. But the comms team are, are all lovely guys as well. Um, they're all really helpful when you uh, when you do need something to to, to just get on to them about. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a cool job, um, especially given I've been a bit of fan for 30 years before I was doing this. So um, so yeah, it's it's great. It's great. Do you, do you take uh,
9: for away games? Do you take? You know a train or bus you know whatever it is to all the
5: way games as well or or how does... yeah yeah usually just get the train now um to away games uh which you know is it's is a similar to the fan experience in a way in that sense you for for away travel you, you see you know you make the same journey you do the same things barring to going to the pub for two or three hours beforehand because uh, if you did that there's no way you could do the job properly um, right but no, it's uh, say, I mean, you could, but... I mean, yeah, you could try. <laughs> um, I'm not a huge drinker, so I'm not sure how well it would go for me if I did do that. But uh, but yeah, so the whole experience for me is has is, is been incredible being able to cover Chelsea and getting able to speak to, to coaches and, and things that sort of 12-year-old me just wouldn't have believed I could probably do. So, um, so yeah, so I feel very lucky to be doing it. But you consider yourself a Chelsea fan, correct? Oh yeah, I've been a Chelsea fan since I was six or seven so yeah Do you my, find that
9: hard to kind of draw the line between fandom and covering and it's just so different than
5: yes and no sometimes the bigger the game the more the fan in me is is apparent um for for the champions league final back in may which i was very privileged to, to get to go to yeah i loved
9: your your recap um, for
5: the for chidge's show that was awesome yeah that was very hard not to be full fan and and just be complete i was completely invested in that game um a lot of the time it's easier to sort of detach because you know you have to do your work at the same time as, as trying to watch the game but um yeah the, the higher stakes the game the more i'm inclined to to be a fan than, than a reporter um which gets a little bit tricky sometimes when i'm trying to sort myself out when i'm
9: working so I, one last thing Chij, and i'm sorry i just I, I apologize for yeah so it's just so different to to view. A club through the lens of a journalist that is also a fan versus how it's done here in the states, where people will say, "Well, I grew up a so and so fan, but I had to put that away, and I'm not a fan anymore." And I, I cover the team; they like go overboard to be not a fan. And then I know it's so different in the UK, where you have fans that are the only way you get access to to news from the club. And yeah, so you sometimes see things through the blue glasses. You can tell. I'm not saying you. I'm just saying you know in the the Chelsea ecosystem, uh, but it's just fascinating to see that big difference between, you know, the the folks here in the states versus there, and how the 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 media is mm. kind of used
5: their role, I guess. So I, I, it's a tricky one, and and there is sometimes where I do have to almost mentally detach myself a little bit, but I feel that being the fan sometimes helps being the reporter as well because I know a lot more about Chelsea, the inner workers of Chelsea, and perhaps I would have done if I was just a sort of beat reporter for the club um, because I know the history. I know how a lot of things work at Chelsea just from from being a fan. Um, so in that respect, it, there is a positive to it as well, um, especially when I'm writing. You know, we, we all write for fans at the end of the day, for those guys who support the team and being able to understand how a lot of the fan base is feeling about a lot of things really does help um, in that respect. Like, you know, the Super League, um back in april i think it was that i knew the strength of feeling as a as a fan to against it and i knew that, that if i could relay that in my work then it was going to resonate with a lot of the fan base too so you know it, it's not always easy to, to to be a fan and a reporter and people will pick it at you or throw that at you sometimes in, in certain situations but i do think it also is a benefit to me doing chelsea every day to, to be a fan as well yeah way more context to everything i would guess. Yeah.
9: Thank you for the leeway, Chidge.
2: No, not at all, Jason. It was lovely. I mean, that's exactly why Adam's here because he has a, you know, he has a, a similar but a very different insight onto to following Chelsea than we all do. And I mean, let me put it this way. And interestingly enough, I I, I would imagine that Mark and Marco would concur with this. But you know, I, I I can't believe how lucky I am to be able to talk nonsense about Chelsea every week uh, to write. For Adam, effectively, and and do that every week, to write for the fanzine, to do all the things that I do with Chelsea, I I can't believe I'm that lucky. So, for Adam to do it every day, get paid for it, and get the respect that he quite rightly has very very much earned for for doing it, is just like taking it to a whole new level. So, I mean, I I'm, I'm envious as hell, but uh, I I'm just so delighted for him because I know what that would be like. It'd be amazing. Uh, now, I'm going to ask Mark because Mark has got a follow up about this. Uh, I know Matthew and Oscar have, and Yarin have all got their hands up. But after I've heard from Mark and we're going to go to a break, OK, because we're old and we might need to have a pee. Adam will be all right. Uh, and then we're going to come back for part two, and I'll go straight to Yarin, uh, then Oscar and then Matthew and get your questions in. And I know I've got one from Pierre uh, on the chat room, so we'll do that. But Mark, take it away.
4: Uh, thanks, George. Uh, and I think it's absolutely great. You know, Adam is a Chelsea fan, but also does the job. I I I, I think that's an asset. You know, and I think the one thing we've lost down the years is, you know, not not just the Germans, anyone associated with Chelsea, you know, half the people who work at the club, you know, years ago used to be fans and there's less of that. So I think anything that we've got, you know, Adam will be professional, but and even an element of bias, I think it's great if Adam's a little bit biased towards us. I think that's no, no bad thing at the end of the day. He's in our corner, you know, and as you know, I've talked about the fan cast before. You know, I wrote for the Chelsea magazine like twenty years ago, and I was completely hundred percent biased towards Chelsea. You know, it, it, and so I think it's great Adam, add Adam in our corner. And the other thing I just want to mention, what Adam picked up on as well, is you know because it is a bit of a standing joke, but actually I think there is some merit in Chelsea's hospitality towards journalists now. You know, it is first class. It's well known in the game. It wasn't like that twenty years ago. The journalists were almost treated with contempt by the previous administration, and I never got that. You know, these people write about football all the time. You know, you should go out of your way to make them welcome, you know, because, you know, the pen can be mightier than sword sometimes. So I never got when you you have a former cha- chairman take and, tell them all uh, piss off back to their council houses, I'm going to my farm in Buckinghamshire. <laughs> it didn't make sense. You know, you should be nice to the press. You know, you should look after them. It's a bit the same with our other, you know, topic we talk about a lot about referees. I've got no problem you know, the club rolling out the red carpet towards referees and showing a bit of hospitality towards them, because you just know they might, you know, give something in your favour and a journalist might write something really positive that, unlike Adam, isn't a Chelsea fan, but might actually sort of see things in a blue-tinted way, because actually we have looked after them for the day.
2: Yeah. You know what, I mean, I'm interesting to hear what Adam says about that, but I just something occurred to me, but um, you know, I, I, I think Mark's right. I think this is why a certain clubs get a lot of love uh Arsenal I think is is an absolute uh, cast on for this because you know they're the establishment and they you know they look after their people and it, and it and it shows you know and 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 it builds up a warmth towards the club and I think I think you know Mark's right I think we're still suffering to a degree to the Bates era where they were they were treated beneath contempt actually but I mean Adam it'd be interesting to hear what you have to say about that
5: I mean, you speak to like journalists get a cushy gig, obviously, as I said at Premier League games, and we all talk about where's the best press food. And if you go, oh, I've got Chelsea away, or I'm going Chelsea this weekend, everyone be like, oh, could you get you'll get well fed, mm. and that's kind of known. So, I, yeah, there there is an element to to Chelsea press coverage being. I don't know if it if it does have a huge influence, but there's definitely a feeling of, of Chelsea do look after the press, and it is it is appreciated by everyone who who attends because because um, who doesn't want really good free food at the end of the day?
2: And it is really good uh, free food, I have to say. Now, um, and I'm enjoying, just for Kenroy's benefit, really, I'm enjoying some really tasty free food in the form of cashew nuts, which kind of makes me sound like I'm eating on the mic, and I know that it pisses you off, which is exactly why I'm doing it, because that's how I roll Kenroy, as you well know. Uh, <laughs> he's roaring with laughter, great. Uh, now, as you all know, before we go to break, I usually have a few plugs here, and the first one, is for another another at football underscore prizes competition. Uh, and this week we've got a chance to win a signed and framed Jan Franco Zola shirt. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Now the tickets are £4.95 uh, each and the draw ends this Thursday on the 13th of October. To enter, go to footballprizes.co.uk forward slash product forward slash Zola hyphen Chelsea. Now... Uh, As always, there are 99 tickets on sale, and so far, well, the last time I looked, about five this evening, 30 of them had already been sold. So get on it quick, don't miss out. And you never know, one day, Daryl, somebody who actually listens to the show might bloody well win one, right? Yes, he's nodding in sage agreement. Now, uh, something that you only have to pay a pound for, thankfully, and have always only had to pay, pay a pound for, and will forever only have to pay a pound for, is the wonderful CFC UK fanzine and uh, there is a new one coming out I know this why because I had to write a piece on Friday well I probably had to write it before that but me being me I wrote it on Friday with plaintive text from DJ saying you're going to send me your article mate Uh, anyway so that'll be coming out probably next uh, probably for the Brentford match I would imagine Um, but if you're at a home match of course all you have to do is go and see this fine gentleman called Mark Worrell Marco Worrell isn't that right Marco you're on mute love Hello. Hello. Tell us about CFC UK and the wonderful stall which you inhabit on a Saturday afternoon.
3: So, yeah, if you come out of Fulham Broadway tube station at the main entrance and cross the road directly there, you will find a ramshackle little erection. Um... <laughs> and what about the stall? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> where we peddle books and the latest edition of the fanzine, which costs only a pound. And we take cash, which is fantastic.
2: So there you go. You can't say better than that. Uh, I, what I will say is that for many of you lot in here, because we've got, for my reckoning, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, but maybe... 10 11 uh fans who are overseas this might appeal to you because you can subscribe even if you if you don't live uh, uh in england you can get it overseas and how how you do that how you do that dear people is you do this you uh basically have to email fanzine at cfc and if you subscribe that's a minimum of 10 issues you pay 16 quid or two pound for an individual copy to paypal uh, to that uh, email address, which is fanzine at cfcuk.net, as I said. If you live in Europe, that's for the UK. If you live in Europe, the cost is 35 quid. For the rest of the world, it's 45 quid. But you can actually get it digitally rather than the hard copy, although why would you want to do that? Uh, and a digital subscription is available by... Uh, it basically gets emailed in a PDF format, and that will cost £6 a season or an individual issue will be £1. So there you go. Uh, email fanzine at net. So there you go. Now, after a very short break, we will be back. Uh, we've got questions I know from Yaren, Oscar and Matthew, and one from Pierre, and a few more. And uh, Marco has got his hand up, and I've muted him again, so he'll have to unmute himself if he wants to say something.
3: Just a quick one. If anybody wants a freebie, if you look on my Twitter timeline, there's a Zola bobble hat, the latest release from the bobble hat merchants. If you retweet that, you've got a chance of winning it. Um, and it's fantastic. And these bobble hats that if you live in a cold climate, they are brilliant, these hats. So you might want to retweet that to be in with a chance of winning it.
2: Yeah. Have they got any of um, those? Because you've got a brilliant one, which is the, I mean, I want two. I want the the, the kind of the, the Coq Sportif brilliant 83, 84 shirt. Right. They've got one of those bubble hats and I want the Commodore one with the looks like, you know, the one with the crosses. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
3: yeah that's that, that. They're the people. So the links in the tweet to the website, but um, you can win the latest one that they've got, which is the autoclass one um from sort of the late 90s to early 2000s that kid
2: right good but we'll get <coughs> get on it people do what marco says now we're going to be back away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery you in order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com There's no risk with Nord's 30 day money back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. In a minute. Real fans,
3: real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys. On the Chelsea Football Fancast, total nutters and proper Chelsea. FootballFancast.
1: dot Welcome
2: back. This is the Chelsea Fancast uh, with me, of course, Stanford Chidge as ever. Uh, and uh, tonight, a slightly different show because it's uh, no football to talk about, really. So we're we're having a good old Q and A session. And to do that, we've got the lovely Marco Worrell. Hello. And uh, we've got Mr. Mark Meehan. Good evening, everybody. And we've got the lovely Adam Newson, who all bring something uh, distinct uh, to the show tonight in their own little specialities. And uh, hopefully, I mean, you know, ask them anything, as I said, about Marco about his books, uh, Mark about history of Chelsea, Adam about being a journalist at Chelsea, and they can talk forever about that. But, of course, they can all pitch him with the other questions that you've got to ask and uh, before we went to break I did promise Yarin Oscar and Matthew would kick off with them so Yarin what's your question Don't... Yeah.
7: Um, okay so I have a question for Adam and it's about our uh, record signing Romelu Lukaku um, it's actually two questions so first do you think that uh, when he plays our pressing game is uh not the same as it used to be last year, because it seems like we are less press pressing. Um, when Mason and uh, Werner out of the side, it's even more. Uh, you can see it even more clearly. And second thing is, what do you think about uh, what we saw in the Juventus game when they played a really really low block, and he all the time he stayed in the box. I wanted him to do like a hurricane and come a bit lower to run away from the defenders and he didn't do it. So what do you think about these two points? Uh
5: the first one uh, you're spot on with Lukaku in the team Chelsea don't press as as well. He's not going to be uh th- he's not going to bring the same energy as a Timo Werner uh, in that front line um without the ball especially. Um you just have to look at the stats to to see that Lukaku's pressing is is well below that of Chelsea's other attackers. Um Last season and this, um, so yeah, Chelsea do have to learn how to attack with Romelu Lukaku in their team, um, and that kind of links to, to the second point. In it's interesting that Romelu Lukaku, or, or there at least quotes have come out this international break from Lukaku saying that he doesn't like playing the target man role, he that he hates it. Um, that stationary role where you're having two defenders behind you and you're getting the ball. He doesn't like that, um, which is what he's been asked to do by Tuchel in, in a, the last few games, especially. Um, I do think Chelsea need to give him a bit more license to come out of the box and, and to, to to play his more natural game. Uh, I think Tuchel will allow him to do that, especially in the games that are coming up. Um, Chelsea's fixture list is, is easier uh, with no disrespect to the teams that are coming up, um, like some Malmo and Norwich and, um, those kind of sides should give Lukaku a bit more opportunity to, to play his game more. Um, but, yeah, there's there's no doubt there are sort of teething problems at the moment, and Chelsea aren't necessarily attacking as well as they, uh, or as fluidly as they were last season anyway. Um, and they're definitely not pressing as well, um, partly because of, of Lukaku, but also obviously Mount's been out for a couple of games. And, um, and yeah, Tuchel's still trying to find out the, the best version of this attack, I think.
2: Adam, I've got a follow-up to that. Which is, I think I think uh, you make a good point there, as you often do, about Werner and his pressing. And, and, and I can get away with this now because JK is not on the show. So I won't get <laughs> shouted down with, Werner's shit! He's a Gareth! You know, and all of that nonsense. But um, I think, and I mean, Mark, I know, will agree with me because he was telling me this donkeys ago because he had a very interesting chat with Nigel Spackman, who, who covers the Bundesliga for BT Sports. Um, but I think, it, you know, given what you've said, it makes a lot of sense to have Werner and Lukaku starting as a two up front. So effectively, Lukaku can drop back a bit because Werner will do all the pressing. In effect, Werner will do his running. And then, you know, Lukaku can float around a bit because I don't care how good he is as, as a striker. And he is very good. That I have no doubt. But when you've got two, sometimes three players on you. And also, here's another thing. You know, and I remember bizarrely Rio Ferdinand talking about this. I think it was after the Arsenal game, and he was saying, "We see the trouble with Arsenal is they're shit, basically." That was his technical analysis. But he said, "What they're doing is they're not—they don't have a midfielder who is blocking off those passes to uh, Lukaku from midfield, where he can have his, you know, back to the striker and turn them and roll them." And he was absolutely right. Arsenal spent the whole day just not doing that and since then teams have picked up on that as we all know they do in the Premier League and nearly every game we've played since they're blocking off that supply they're just getting 10 yards in front of him all the time and they're stopping that supply so I think you know having him just purely as a target man with two maybe three defenders and a midfielder blocking off the supply is not going to lead to a very happy Lukaku and I think having Werner there will really help would you agree?
5: Yeah, I do, and I think that's why we've seen to call uh what would be a 3-4-1-2 f- in a lot of games this season. Be it with Havertz further up alongside Lukaku or Werner. Um, I did quite like the the three that the Chelsea started against Southampton with Werner, Hudson, Adoy, um, and Lukaku. I think someone like a, a Hudson Adoy, uh, more Christian Pulisic if he if he could stay fit, their ability with the ball would create space for someone like Lukaku as well, just because they drag opponents towards them uh, with their dribbling um that pulls a team to one side faster than necessarily with, with someone like Kyle or Mason. Um that being said, if you go with a Vernon Lukaku two, then you've got four guys potentially for, for the ten um in Mount and have a Ziesh and Pulisic you throw Hudson in there as well because he is very he's good centrally. Um or, or at least he was at the youth team he could play there. Or even, um,
2: or even Eden Hazard mate. <laughs>
5: <laughs> or even Ed Hazard, um, if he if he was at Chelsea and not injured. Um, so I, I think we'll see the Lukaku Werner partnership uh, in more games going forward. But it's kind of it's a problem for Tuchel trying to get all these guys into his team and, and try and keep everybody happy, um, especially when they're not always playing well. But also there's the flip side of you like to have some consistency in that front line to build relationships. I think this is the problem that Tuchel faces. He's got so many options there. He is trying to try- rotate all the time to keep everybody happy but there's a flip side saying well if you played two or three lads in the same position for three or four games you might actually see some some understanding there um so yeah it, it's not easy for Tickle to solve um personally I thought for a while Chelsea are probably carrying one attacker too many um who you would maybe want to sacrifice in January is is a bigger debate
2: yeah, it's a good one that. And uh, as the great legend himself, Mister Kerry Dixon always says, whenever I speak to him, he said, "Ah, exactly what you said." Actually, Adam is that you know they need time to gel. They need to work out. I mean, it took him. Well, apparently, as Marco and Mark both know, it took it took a scrap uh, in the dressing room afterwards with him and Speedo to work out how they could actually play together. And and a, and, a, and a word in Pat Nevin's shell like. To clarify it, so you know, they do got they've got you've got to play them together, like it's like the defense. You know, we say the same about the defense, so why on earth don't we say the same about attack? So, yeah, good answer. Hope that answered your question, Yaron. Um, Oscar, unmute yourself, mate. There you go, top man.
6: Good evening again. Good
2: evening, and well Um... done, by the way, Oscar. Before we start on your question, I have to say, well done. For your performance in the Prem Predictions League the other week. Look at the smile on his face. Oh, mate, yeah. You whooped you our asses, man.
6: <laughs> and just to blow smoke further up, my rear, I only started in week two as well,
2: my friend. Really? <laughs> there you go. Oh, God. Don't, don't rub it <laughs> in, mate. It's bad enough already, you know. Good God.
6: Um, by the way, it's been great listening to the fancast all these years, guys. You're doing a great job.
10: Thank you.
6: Um, one of them is, I had two questions. One was on Ruben, well, and one is on more the Chelsea model. So I don't know which one to go for. But um, I think I'll go on the Chelsea model. So we've seen recently, um, obviously, another foreign consortium take over another Premiership club in Newcastle. So, kind of open question to everyone really: Do we think Chelsea and Roman's model is the blueprint on how to run an elite football club? And furthermore, has do do the pundits out of this have started to realise and get credit for, for
2: that model? Mm. Marco, I'm going to ask you first, and then Mark. You have to unmute yourself, love. There we go.
3: I think what's interesting is um, kind of Mr Abramovich was the first man to the table in terms of um, this sort of autocratic purchase of a football club. Uh, And and to be honest, it's kind of uh, the focus has really been on on Chelsea um, as a standalone project, I know I know we've had tie-ins with with loan deals with cl- with other clubs. But if you look at the template, for example, Manchester City have, where they you know own football clubs in in America, in Australia, um, and are kind of building like a blueprint for for global domination. What I like about the way Mr Abramovich does things is it works. Um, So he decides it's not working. He decides when it's time to change the manager, people get upset, everything changes, and we win some more trophies. And if we don't, he puts his hand in his pocket and uh, munificently bankrolls the purchase of um, Romelu Lukaku, for example. So I I think that... um, you know, I think that we, we are still quite unique as a football club in terms of the, the way that we operate um, to the envy, I think, of supporters of other clubs and and, and owners as well who, who just can't seem to grasp um, how, how we've done it. I think the one huge um, legacy that, that, that perhaps we've got now is that investment in Cobham, um, from a financial perspective, is, is paying dividends. I know we throw our arms up in the air at the youngsters being sold off, but at least they've all got buyback clauses. And they can't all play for Chelsea. I mean, we've got enough problems with all the players we've got at the moment, shoehorning them all in as, as sort of Adam will be well on top of in, in his job. Um, so, you know, for me, I, I I like the way Chelsea's run. It's taken a while to get used to it. I think we've got the best owner in in club football. Um, You know, I think Marina does a fantastic job. The Petr Cech um, acquisition and the role he's played. You know, you look at Edouard Mendy, how influential he's been in Chelsea's success. I just think, you know, Chelsea are unique um, and it's great and it works. And, you know,
2: long may it continue. Thousand-year reign, mate. Was it, was it that Nero wanted anyway? Uh, another famous Roman emperor. Anyway, uh, Mark.
4: What have the Romans ever done for us? Yeah. Well. What yeah. <laughs> the roads and the sanitation. No, um, I couldn't agree more with Marco. It shouldn't work, but it does. Uh, and it's been sort of like rolling on now. it, it will be coming up to a 20th anniversary soon. Uh, and I think over time and history, I think more and more... I think there'll be more begrudging praise towards Abramovich and the way he's run the football club, I think, as years go by. And I think you'll see, especially, and I was having this conversation at Wheelstone on Saturday. I thought people, you know, and it's always in Twitter, people are losing their shit about Newcastle like last last week. Oh, they're the richest club in the world. I said, so? What does it matter? You know, you can be the richest club in the world, but you need to run the football club in the right way. You need to have the right owner. You know, there's countless clubs that have got more money than Chelsea now. And I've always said, there's only four trophies. Yeah. You know, and there's less trophies in Spanish leagues, which also have had a high amount of investment, you know, etc. Et- et French leagues, PSG, for example. There's only four trophies, maybe three trophies for PSG. You know, and not everybody can win them. So you look at the Premier League now, you look at all the variety of rich owners, many of whom have got more money than Chelsea have, but who's top of the league at the moment? Who's champions of Europe? We are, you know. So, you know, the Chelsea model works, and some of these clubs, you know, good luck to Newcastle. I'd quite like them to see them win an FA Cup. I've got a soft spot for them.
2: No, but, maybe a League Cup, Mark. Come on, let's.
4: Well, be maybe fair. A League. Yeah, maybe a League. Maybe maybe a Zenith Data Systems Cup <laughs> if, we, if we brought that back. Or,
2: yeah. Well, they've but, already won the Texaco Trophy. To be fair.
4: Yeah, yeah, and they last won a trophy that no longer exists now, the, the Fairs Cup, when they beat um, um, But there's no guarantee that Newcastle or even other clubs that have put a lot of money and have got more money than Chelsea now will ever win, you know, the Champions League. Like City have tried many times and they, they failed and obviously they got close as we beat them last year. There's an assumption sometimes in football that people throw a lot of money at something and it guarantees success. It doesn't, you know. Or even if it did, it does for a short period of time. If you look at Blackburn Rovers, as I said at the start, you know, Abramovich is soon coming up to his 20th anniversary and look how successful Chelsea have been with the investment during that time. You know, it shouldn't work, but it does and it works well.
2: Yeah, I mean, we're the most successful club in that 20-year period, which or, or however many years Roman's been involved. Um, I mean, I think one thing I would say, Oscar, is that look at PSG. You know, they were bought specifically to win the Champions League. Have they? No. Have they got some of the best players in the world? Yes. Have they won the Champions League? No. So, you know, it doesn't always work. Do, do, do you want to follow up on that, Oscar? Or is that, is that okay? Yeah,
6: no, I agree with everything, everything you say. I think the added thing about what we're, and we're lucky to have, Roman. and Yes, clearly there has been mistakes in that circa 20 years. But I think what's different about the Man City, the PSG, the Man United, Arsenal, they've got money, those owners. But what they don't have, I don't think, is an owner with that, that actually enjoys football. He's got a passion, a genuine passion for football. Certainly, in fun, I know he's not, he's not been around for the last two years, but you can see that you know with his Russia with, with football in Russia and so on. So, I think that's been the added ingredient with the clever structure that they put in place. So, yeah, I, th- I think we're, we're absolutely fortunate, and the pundits are slowly starting to get credit. You know, I remember Gary Neville called us a joke club a few years yeah. back, if you could call that. So, yeah, hopefully, you'll get credit, but ultimately, as you say, that you know, we're winning the trophies, and so you'll still get the haters out there,
2: yeah, definitely. Uh, now. If, with apologies to Matt and uh, and now Daryl and, and Pierre uh, as we're talking about Roman actually Pierre put in a question earlier on so I'm going to, do you want to ask it to, to Adam or, or do you want me to uh, read it for you Pierre because you might have forgotten it was so long ago <laughs> Yeah
8: no that's fine thanks Judge, I was just going to ask Adam if you knew anything about um, Roman because I think he had his visa issues sorted and he was coming over do you know if he's planning to come to any of the games soon or uh, the word from around the club
5: is that he may stop in at Chelsea at some point. Um, obviously, with Roman, it's very, very difficult to to know what he's going um, to do. Just as an aside, I, when I uh, spoke to Sebastian Niesel, who is Chelsea's first German player for a feature I did, he uh, he said that when Roman first started rocking up at Harlington, he would arrive. There would be four limos that would arrive, and you would never know which one Roman was in, and they would have to take a different route to training ground every day. Um, so that's the level of of a secrecy Roman at least used to have. Um, so it's going to be very difficult for, for me to know exactly what he'd be doing. Um, but yes, he's, uh, he is, he's coming to the country. Um, he, I think he's got on his Ready passport now, which allows him to, to come and go a bit easier than than previously. So um, it wouldn't surprise me if he could get to a game, Um that he would, obviously, he was at the Champions League final um, and he went to the Women's Champions League final too. So I think when he can, um, he does get to the game. So, um, so yeah, there's a chance maybe.
2: Mm. Well, our sources are better than uh, Adam's on this one, Pierre. So we'll let you know, all right? We'll get wind of it before Adam does, trust me. Um, no disrespect, Adam, honestly. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and I'll, tell you, I'll tell you when we're off air uh, why. Um, Matthew, you've got a question.
7: Sorry, I just unmuted myself. Um, yes, this is uh, maybe a little pure, and I apologise if I've missed the point somewhat. Um, I just—I uh, have a fascination with people that have managed to name their kids after Chelsea players. <laughs> so I used to work with a guy that called his daughter, born in 1984, Kerry. And um, more recently, a mate of mine called his son, Eden. But have any of you, I don't know who's got kids or who hasn't, have you managed to name any of your children after Chelsea players?
2: Uh well I'll I'll kick off and then I'll ask them each in turn but uh, Matthew, it's lovely to see you by the way what a shame is not on tonight because you two could have had a lovely chat both being qualified referees and put me put me to task which is quite right um I don't have kids so uh I, I, I in a in a way I can't really answer this but uh, there we go he's given me a red card quite right um so I I can't really answer that if I if I had a, if I had had kids I I absolutely wanted to uh, well I must tell you this because it was a bit of a joke really but I wanted to call if I had a son I was going to call it Gianluca Gianfranco uh, so basically it would be called Gigi Chigi which I thought would have been quite funny <laughs> that was that was really my only reasoning behind it which is a terrible reason it's probably a good idea that I don't have kids isn't it, Love um, it. but like like you Matt one of my best mates at Chelsea who, who goes under the wonderful name of Psycho Phil uh, his sons were both on the fan cast in the, in, the, in the early days both Chris and Stu the Blues Brothers but they're they have another brother, and guess what? He's called Kerry for exactly the same reason. So there's quite a lot of it about. So there you go. Uh, Marco, your dibs.
3: Well, I have uh, a daughter, and her middle name is Blue.
2: So it's not really a player, is it? No, but it's close. No, but
3: it's a connection. Yes. Misty Blue Worrell.
2: <laughs> Misty Blue. There we go. Uh Adam, you've got you've got a new a, a relatively young one, haven't you?
5: You have got two year old. Yeah, two year old. Yeah. Um, during the she, is she called up, Frank. No, I did suggest Frankie at yeah. one point, and that didn't get going. <laughs> I've also yeah, I was keen on Eden if we had a boy, so I might uh, revise, that, uh, you're or st- revise st- that. You're
2: still so, young so enough to do it, mate. Get on with that, it. <laughs> if that
5: happens, uh, <laughs> but no, my wife hates football, which is Ooh. a weird choice on her part to marry a football journalist. Yes. Um, but yeah, so. Chelsea sort of Chelsea link names didn't get too far sadly
2: to be fair though Adam I mean at least you can say you're going to the football because it's my job yes. we, we don't have that <laughs> excuse it's probably harder <laughs> for us really you know but anyway uh,
4: Mark you've got you've got children I have I've got two girls but yeah neither of them were any football related name or association shall we say one of them has got no interest in football and one of them has started coming in sort of like you know I think she's done every home game so far this season but she's been coming about seven or eight years now but I do know people you know picking up Matthew's point that have done exactly that I know people that have called their kid Kerry I know people that um have, Name their kids after Jan Franco-Zola, um Roberto Di Matteo. Yeah, even the girls—they called her Roberto, but obviously, yeah, they mean Roberto. Yeah, so yeah, it does happen, but yeah, not something I've done.
2: Mm. I'm just thinking of it actually. I mean, who who would be the, the 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 silliest name? You know, if you were thinking of a Chelsea player, uh, and you John were going to be what John Obi? John Obi. Yeah, I was thinking of maybe Winston. Where yeah, Winston. It? Yeah. But there must be others. Come on, come on, boys. Would,
5: would, would you count the Brazilians in this?
2: Yeah, Oscar. Would you, could would you be call one. someone Ramiro? Torre Andre Chigi. Torre Andre Chigi. Yeah, that would be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, Branislav Chigi. Branislav Chigi. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there must be others out there. If you've got any suggestions, people, you lob them in later, and we'll have. Chilo a come- I like that. I like that. Yes, <laughs> Papa. Yeah, actually, Papa. that's what my what my niece and nephew call my 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 father. They call him Papa. Celestine actually, Chigi. What? Celestine. Chigi. Celestine. Ah. Yes, I like that. Yeah. Anyway, we'll move on, Matthew. That's a great question, great. mate. Really enjoyed that. Thanks. Um, the lovely Daryl, you got a question? Meet myself. Um, yeah, it's for Marco. Really, it's well,
6: slightly Chelsea, but um, given your lovely books that you've written is there any other topic you would consider writing a book about other than football
3: um well i'm actually planning to write a book about mental health so um oh yeah so that that's it (laughs) yeah that's yeah that's fine that's that's
6: what i was just interested in if you had anything you were real passionate about
3: the other thing that I would consider writing just completely away from football would be something related to music. Um, but I've kind of, like in the novels that I've written, I've always sort of merged the two together, sort of music and football, popular culture, that kind of thing. Um, it's kind of difficult to get away completely from, from football. But, uh, but yeah, if I, if I did, it would be either just a music, strictly a music book or as I am as writing something to do with mental health yeah very nice thank you
2: uh yeah it's a you know don't, yeah I was gonna I was just thinking actually Mark if you're writing one on mental health I, I can kind of maybe return the favor and, and be your editor on it if you want I could I could Uh, but maybe maybe I should pull my finger out my rear end and actually deliver the one that uh, we agreed upon what seems like eons ago I'm just going to blame Mark and Kelvin all right that's that's my that's my get out at the moment plus the fact I thought of I've thought of another two good book ideas actually this week but maybe I should walk before I can run or something like that now Earlier on, we had a, a question on Discord uh, from... Uh, well, think about you lot on Discord. None of you really use your bloody real name, so I don't know who half of you are. So the, for, for all I know, you might be in here. But uh, this is Gellan Hahn, and uh, they say, one thing I've wondered... You, This is a great question. This is up there with Mr. Stick's question from earlier on. One thing I've wondered, You've you've talked much about your rituals before and after you go to the bridge. Do you have any rituals when you're at home watching the game on television? Now, see, that is a brilliant question. Uh, Adam first.
5: Uh, No, I don't. Not anymore. Um, I remember during the Champions League run of 2012, I'm pretty sure I wore the same hoodie for every game uh, during that because I was weirdly superstitious about it. But no, other than that, I I don't have any sort of pre-match rituals now. Apart from trying to keep my daughter entertained uh, and settled for the next couple of hours so I could watch it in peace slash work.
2: Mm. Uh, Mr. Mian, what say
4: you? No, none whatsoever. No, literally, if it's on, whether it's on a Saturday morning or Sunday, and I'm not at it because you know I'd either be at the bridge if it's a home game. No, I just switch it on and watch it. Yeah, mm. no, no
2: ritual. Yeah. yeah, Marco. Sorry, I missed the the question.
1: Yeah.
2: Do you? I mean, you know, we we often talk about the rituals we have when we go to the game, and as you well know. I I, I cannot go to Stamford Bridge without popping in and saying hello to you on the stall for fear that we might lose if I don't do that. Because this this has been proven in the past when I haven't, and we've lost. Uh, So we all have our rituals on a match day, but what about when we watch it at home on TV? Do you have a ritual around watching it on the TV? No. No.
3: (laughs) (laughs) What I... I Very rare, I generally tend to watch... I'm watching football on the telly or Chelsea on the telly, I watch it at home on my own. I just find it. Um, I do go over to the club quite a lot and watch it there. This is, this is the team sports club, which has a fantastic bar. Um, but I just find it too much of a distraction. And, you know, you get all the clever bods who, who don't, who just slander players. I just, I, gets my back up quite a lot. So I prefer to watch it, watch games in my own company if I'm not at the bridge.
2: Yeah, I, I concur. I have absolutely no ritual whatsoever. I mean, as, as as everybody knows now, who's been listening to this show for long enough, they know that I am the laziest supporter ever. I mean, you know, th- these two, Mark and Marco, and I dare I say it, Adam as well, put me to absolute shame. Um, so in a way, watching it on home during lockdown was a godsend to me because I didn't have to do anything. You know, just like, you know, stagger downstairs and watch it on the TV about a minute before kickoff. You know, um, but no, I don't have any ritual at all at home. Um, I hate watching football on on the TV. I particularly hate watching Chelsea on the TV at home. I have to watch it on my own, in the equivalent of a padded cell, uh, and I, I find it I find it bordering on the unbearable because. And this is a weird thing, and I don't know. The others might might have something to say on this as well, but for some strange reason which is complete bollocks obviously but when i'm there I, I feel that i can have some influence on proceedings which of course is absolute nonsense but i genuinely feel that i can affect things because i'm there and maybe maybe uh the maniamatich might have heard me shout out you long lanky streak of piss why don't you do this or whatever you know but um i, I really did do that actually marco probably heard it from from where he sits but um Of course, at home, I feel completely and utterly powerless and I hate it. You know, my therapist will tell you, but being powerless is one of my buttons. And I I particularly feel this very keenly when I'm watching Chelsea on TV. And I really don't like it. And I have to say, it's kind of the the experience has got even worse. Uh, Now, you know, we've all got our phones with us and I find myself... You know, getting distracted and going on Twitter and seeing what outrageous things people have said there, or or you lot in Discord, who I love, completely different from Twitter. And then I get embroiled in an argument, with Mr. Stick, about some tactics or something, and you know, and it distracts me. And it's it. I, f- I find it a really horrible experience watching Chelsea on uh, on the TV. Maybe what I should do in uh, Daryl is uh is to actually have is to, not not Daryl was it? it was Gellin who asked this one. Maybe what I should do is actually. Do some rituals, you know, maybe I should go and visit the local pub before, sink about six pints of Guinness in 45 minutes. Um, find a find a weird neighbour who I can tarry with a while, Marco, uh, and, and, then, and then stagger in and sit in my chair. And then stand up, stand up behind my seat and hurl abuse at the TV for 90 minutes. Maybe that will, you know, help the experience, but who knows. So there you go. Now, I, I do believe, Pierre, you have another question. Am I right? Is this one about the youth?
8: Yes, thanks. Sorry, me again. Um, I just wanted to ask you, Adam, particularly about the youth. Um, is there anybody that you think would will be able to get a chance of getting a run of cup games? I, th- I was thinking, especially as we have such a bloated squad now, we've got the likes of Ross Barkley getting on as the impact subs. Um, is there anyone? I was thinking also of Javier Umbiamba, the guy we signed from Barcelona at the beginning of last season is there any chance he could get some minutes? And uh, Jude Sunset-Bell, I've seen him coming through. Have any of them got a chance, or is there anyone else we should be keeping an eye on?
5: Uh, As you say, I think it's going to be difficult just because of the size of the squad now. I think it's like 27 players or something, Tuchel has to call upon. Um, But at at the end of the day, a coach can always find minutes for young players if he truly wants to to give them to them. Um, Mbayamba was on the bench against Villa in the Carabao Cup. So maybe there is an end up to that. I know he's again working with the first team during the international break um, as of, of quite a few of the lads. Um, Suinsap like Bo, I think it might just be a bit too early for him. He's still very young. Um, someone who started the season very well uh, for the Dev squad is Harvey Vale um, and he might be worth keeping an eye on. Um, the only thing for him is that he, he's sort of a number 10 slash, uh, slash midfielder and Chelsea are pretty well stocked uh, for those Um so, yeah, it's it's hard just because we say that the squad that Tuchel has, the quality he has, trying to keep everyone happy is probably forefront of his mind. Um, but as we all know now, there's a lot of quality um, in the ranks at Cobham, um, even though a lot of sort of what you'd call standout young prospects did leave this summer in the likes of Andurin and uh, Louis Bate and Livermento, obviously. Um, but there is there is still a lot of quality there, so it's kind of, Down to how much does Tuchel really, really want to try and give these guys minutes? Um, Because he talks a good game, Tuchel, when it comes to the academy. Um, But this season is probably going to be one where he kind of has to back it up a little bit more or questions will be asked again um, as to whether or not there is a genuine pathway at at Chelsea um, when Frank Lampard isn't in charge of the team. You
2: you, you say that, Adam. You say that. And yet, uh, you know, I can't can't remember if it was a Southampton game or not, but we had... We had a lot of academy products on the pitch at the time, and I mean, just off the top of my head, um, I'm thinking Chaloba, I'm thinking Loftus Cheek, Hudson Adoy, uh, Mason Mount got on, didn't he? Because of course he was yeah. just coming back. So and Rhys James would have played had he not been injured. So I mean, that's half the team. I mean, it, that's not bad. No, no, it's not.
5: I think it's more whether or not going forward, um, there's going to be a wall uh, placed ahead of these guys again, which they'll they'll find. Difficult to, to, to get over. Um, obviously, Mason and Reese sliding doors moment for them is, is Lampard's appointment. Whether or not they get into the setup without him coming in, who knows? Callum Callum was such a high uh, potential player at academy level. Um, I don't know if, if those f- who watched the under seventeen World Cup a few years ago remember it was it was and Foden who really stood out in the under seventeen team, um, and we still don't really know what Cullum could be because he's never really had a sustained run in the Chelsea team in what would be his preferred role on, on that left side. Um, I kind of think he has an opportunity to do that in the upcoming games, actually. Um, and I hope Tuchel does does give it in. Um, and with Ruben, I'm delighted for Ruben, genuinely delighted for Ruben because I spoke to a few people around Chelsea in the summer and everyone said that Ruben looked really good. I was looking back to his best. Um, I know a lot of Fulham fans don't like him because he didn't go and keep them up, basically. Um, But I'm really pleased because I think Ruben's got such an interesting skill set and unique skill set almost for a a midfielder to be that quick with your feet, yet that big and and powerful. And um, I think Chelsea are a very special player there if Tuchel can can harness him. So hopefully he does.
2: Do you you subscribe to the opinion that I have that he, he really could be just what we need a box-to-box midfielder a guy who can break the lines dribble with the ball link the uh, midfield and attack and score goals because if you remember when he did have that breakthrough season under dare I say Maurizio Sarri he scored something like 12 goals didn't he so we know he can score so do you think he could be our missing link which might mean having to play three in the midfield of course but hey
8: just very quickly I think he was actually our third top scorer behind only Pedro and Hazard which is astonishing and he didn't even play a crazy amount of games. He forced his way in under the Sarah. Sorry, I No, it, no,
2: though. no. Please do, Pierre. That's a really good point, mate. Adam?
5: I think he could. I think it's again it's like you said, Chich, if he if, if he plays with a midfield three, then Ruben offers something very different in terms of a an actual goal threat. Um which Kovacic and Jorginho and uh and Galicante don't. Um but I think it will be dependent on whether or not we see a three in a two in a two for the big games we'll we'll still see We'll still see Jorginho and Kante, I think, as the first choice. Mm. Um, which given what they achieved last year in the Champions League, uh is completely understandable.
2: Although I, I do think this is therein lies the problem because, you know, as we all know with the Premier League, teams when they get successful and by doing one thing get found out very quickly and then the other teams work very hard to mitigate it and i really think that that's what we've been seeing this season and of course they won't they won't have had that opportunity with ruben he genuinely offers something very different and that means they've got to go away and think again and i and i you know you've got to, you cannot stand still i mean you know love it or hate it but i think the premier league's the toughest league in the world and it's the toughest league for this reason you you know you have to constantly evolve and get better otherwise people will sort you out oscar you definitely wanted to come in i think
6: yeah, thanks for that. My actual question was on Ruben, but now you've raised, I thought I'd, I'd come in. But I think to me, I've been watching Ruben since, I think, was it Mourinho, that gave me his debut? I, I can't remember, a long time ago. And we all know about his skill sets, like you've just said already about his pace, his technical abilities, power, and so on. But one thing I think he always lacked and why he was never picked, was his lack of energy. He used to play, the, I think, I don't know if you agree, but he played quite pedestrian. But what he's maybe be bringing to his game is that energy, that pressing that you need in a modern game. If he adds that to his game, that energy, that pressing off the ball, with all the stuff that we know he can do, that's when I think he'll be he'll play more regularly. Because I don't know if you agree with that or not.
2: I, I totally I, I do, Oscar, and I I agree with you. I've noticed that since he's come back and got into the side this season, he, he he's doing that. And I mean, I don't know if the, if the boys would agree with me, but. He always looked. I mean, I I think he looked two things when he first broke in. But I think when when you know, as I said, that 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 season under Sarri, he he started really looking like the, the player that we all knew and loved from the youth. But I think when he came on before that, he either looked completely out of his depth, like a lost boy, or or frankly lazy because he just didn't he didn't run around much. And I was thinking, well, hang on a minute, you, you're a kid, you know, trying to break into the team. You have got to do more. I don't know, uh, Marco and Mark, what do you what do you think about that? <clears throat>
3: A couple, couple of things about Ruben. Um, I mean, I, he was always going to be, or he was billed as being the player that was going to be the, the, the break the mould and be the, the next player after John Terry to make it in the first team. And then the stars didn't quite align for him. Um, I, I think he's not got that many miles on the clock now because of the injuries. And I think now he's reached a certain age and maturity, he's kind of thinking, do you know what? This is it now. Uh, you know, it's kind of if it's to be, it's up to me. Because he's got the ability. I thought he had a shocking season at Fulham last last season, but you know, you're only as good as um the manager and your, your own self-motivation. Um, and I think clearly Touchell. As, as as capably demonstrated last season and and this season before Ruben came back into the fold, that that he will take players um, that have been overlooked by previous managers or not been considered because they didn't fit uh, the template for a for a game, um, and he can work with those players and get the best out of them. And I think you know Ruben's clearly benefited from. Um, having Tuchel, you know, put that arm around him and say, look, son, this is your chance. I'm going to give you a chance to play 90 minutes. Um, so I think it's a mix of uh, his, his own personal self-motivation and the realisation that Chelsea are the biggest football club in England, um, which is going to upset a few people saying that, but we are. So, you know, if he wants to play for the biggest football club in, in England, he's got a up his game, and he's done that, and I think it's brilliant.
2: Yeah, totally right, Marco. Mark,
4: I'm pleased for him. Um, he's 25 years of age, so he's not getting any younger. So I thought um, Tuchel is the type of manager that will give people a chance. He's given Ruben a chance, a couple of subs appearances, and then he started the game recently. I thought he had a fine game. I think if you look at Ruben's stats, you know he hasn't played much league football for us. He's been with us what one, two, seven years now. You know, Oscar's right when he made his debut. He's only started 16 league games in seven years. Now, I appreciate he's been on loan on, on a few occasions. Um, but, you know, time is running out for him. So, you know, I'd like to see him succeed. I think there's something about him. I think he d- does bring us something different in that midfield. Yeah, uh, It's almost like, you know, a potential ballot like type player, hopefully, hopefully there. And I think the plus part being here, no disrespect to Fulham, but... You know, playing for Fulham in a relegation-bound season. You know, I, I don't think there was any benefit to him. You know, he's a very good player, probably playing with lesser players. So, if he's going to have any chance to shine, he's probably in the right place with the right manager at the present moment in time, and hopefully he sees the opportunity.
2: Mm. I mean, one thing I would say, Adam, but you know, going back to your point, which which I, I think it has some merit in. It. I mean, I, I wonder if actually the proof of the pudding in terms of Tuchel and breaking academy players through. Will be what he does with Billy Gilmore and Connor Gallagher.
5: Would yes. You, yeah. Yeah, that'll be very interesting to see um how that's handled next summer. Obviously this summer we were hoping to see someone maybe like a Mark Gurhey step in as well, and he was sold quite early to Palace. Thankfully Trevor Chalaber seems to have really established himself, but even then again it's it's a I, I think Trev Chalaber has done absolutely fantastically in this Chelsea team. Um the impact he's made, the performances he's produced are incredible for someone without that level of experience beforehand. My only concern, I really don't want to be too pessimistic about this, is obviously we saw someone like Fekai Tomori start off very, very well. Then for the team is now at Milan and doing really well. So even if you, same with Tammy, even if you do have that early impact, it's about sustaining that um, and then making sure the club back you during a bit more of a lower point and and, and not just taking the easy road and then casting you aside. So... Yeah, it's it's very hard. I think there was a perfect storm with Lampard. Um, it really worked out. And maybe without that, you don't have a Mason Mount in this first team at the moment, who knows?
2: I, I don't doubt that for a minute, actually. And I think that's a great tragedy. But, I, you know, one thing I will say about Tuchel, he may be many things, but I don't think the man is an idiot. You know, and I think he actually does believe what he sees. And I don't think it's any coincidence. I think it was certainly the Southampton game. We had, as I said, I think we had five homegrown players on there. And they were all the best performers on the day. I'd say, you know, they they were the ones that were going for it. And, it. and I think we've seen that in a few games actually. When when you've got a lot of them on, they go for it. They don't they don't shirk. They don't decide, mm-hmm. oh, I can't be asked today. You know, their attitude is spot on. And and I think Tuchel, I mean, he's not an idiot. He will see that, and he will start thinking, you know what, these guys are good. You know, and they're not only good, but they they go for it. They've got the right attitude. Uh, and and my hope is that as I said he's a bright guy and he'll figure that out that just because you you know spend 70 million quid on a player or whatever doesn't mean it's, he's got it all and he's got the attitude and the skill and everything else and actually somebody that didn't cost him anything can do as good a job if not better Adam.
5: Yes but I guess there's a certain reality to that that Chelsea are a business and they like to try and make sure that they don't lose value on players and Tuchel will know that, and and you look at the the work he's been doing with Kepa. That I don't think is by accident. He's been working hard, obviously partly to make sure Chelsea have a, a competent second choice goalkeeper, especially as uh, it looks like Eddie Mendy will probably go away in January to Afcon. But also because Chelsea don't want to lose an absolute astronomical sum of money on on Kepa. There is a there is an element of that play as well.
2: Well, I hear what you say. I still I still. Well, maybe I'm naive. I'm certainly old, which might ha- might contribute that to that a bit. But I cannot believe that. Um, I mean, because really, what you're saying is that that the the board have an undue influence on what happens on the pitch, and for me, that is that is you know di- the dear old Ray Wilkins. Uh, you know, uh, 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 apparently, uh, uh, allegedly, that's why he got the tin tack because he got fed up with that kind of interference. And I know the club is a business and everything else, and I get that, but. If that happens, if that's going on, then if you're a manager... I
5: I don't think it's a direct, you must do this. But at the same point, as you say, Tickle's a smart guy and he knows that there are certain things that he kind of has to do at Chelsea. um, He has to
2: win. That's what he has to do. He has to
5: win. He has to win. And And he has to... Tries best to to protect the club's interests. Well, the the indeed,
2: day. but the club's pro- interests are surely best protected. I'm si- I'm sitting there doing Tuchel's job here. Maybe I should maybe <laughs> I should be the one having the chat with Marina. But surely the best way of protecting the club's interests is to keep winning trophies. And the fact that you do it with uh, five homegrown players or five players that have cost you five hundred million is immaterial.
5: Potentially, potentially, I say I don't think it's a direct. You must play these players, but when Chelsea spend a lot of money on players, then I think there's an expectation, and especially they pay big money to them in wages. There's an expectation that these guys will probably be in the team, um, whether or not there's huge questions asked if they're not. I, I, I'm not sure at this stage. I think Tuchel's had a good ride of it, um, but obviously we saw with Frank Lampard there when you don't play big players or, or senior players who earn big money, you can run into problems. So there's a balancing act for Tuchel to find between. Between that, between keeping the club, making sure the club get what they want and, and winning games, which obviously keeps them in a the job.
2: Yeah, I, I think maybe that's what Frank got wrong. I, I think the weird thing about Frank, Frank was actually quite an old school manager, which no doubt he he learnt from growing up, uh, and you know, Uncle Ari and all of that. But you maybe what Frank shouldn't have done was to I mean, he he jettisoned players, basically. And I think that I think that Tuchel gets that balance right. I mean, okay, I accept what you're saying about Keppa because he's gonna he's gonna need Kepa in January, but I think uh, I think uh, Tuchel's a bit too smart for that and a bit more experience, really. Uh, Kenroy, you've been waiting a, a ridiculously long amount of time to ask a question, so now I'm going to ask you, you're bound to be busy and not able to do it because you're probably working, but just stick your thumb up if you can, otherwise I'll go to Daryl. Yeah, off you go, Kenroy. Thanks,
0: uh, Uncle <laughs> I Just before I ask, uh, let me just going to agree there with uh, with Adam. I, I always had my suspicions that Chelsea was not quite changed. There's still a lot of internal money politics when it comes to the youth and whatnot. But I'll expand more on that in an email. Um, my real question was I've always wanted to ask Liam, but Adam is obviously a suitable um, sub. Um, Ooh, has...
2: controversial, Kenroy.
0: Ooh. <laughs> um... <laughs> uh, how has Peter Cech performed as a technical director, especially when you look at the whole Lampard situation, which I think he was specifically brought in for, um, to kind of be that, you know, good liaison between the board and, and, and you know, the coaching staff. Um, but uh, when it was all going down, he was, was he nowhere to be found or, you know, I mean, not just specifically to that, but you know, that's just one example. So, how has he performed mm-hmm. overall as a technical director?
5: No, I think he's done well, and I think that Lampard situation was was difficult for him because of the pre-existing relationship we had with Frank. Um, they they were good teammates, they were good friends, and and the fact that things became. Uh, fractured, not not necessarily between him and, and 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 Lampard, but between the club and Lampard. Obviously, it was difficult. I don't for check to try and bridge that. Um, but apart from that, no, I think he's done really good. the The fact he is, is so multilingual was massive in the role he does. Um, you saw how um, brave he was when the Super League stuff went down. The fact that he was the guy. Um, somewhat by accident it wasn't entirely by design that he was the guy out there trying to placate Chelsea fans um on the Kings Road and explain to them what was happening was um optically very good for him um and as a a, sort of more day-to-day you look at the fact that he was quite instrumental in the signing of Edwin Mendy um that was a huge win for him um and Christophe Lolichon um who is uh, head of the goalkeepers at Chelsea um, just to, to give him some more stock and um, in, in sort of credence to, to what he's been doing. Um, so I think he's doing well. I think he'll get better with more experience as well. Um, he's an incredibly articulate and incredibly intelligent guy um, who I really do think is, is well-suited for a role like this. Um, and hopefully he'll be around at Chelsea for many years. Cause I do think he understands the fan base in a way that maybe not um, and, you know, Chidgin and, and Mark probably maybe understand this better than I do because they have more interactions with with those higher up um, on a more regular basis, probably. But um, I think Petter may understand the feelings of the fan base a bit better than than those people.
2: Yes, Adam. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll leave it at that. Talking of goalkeepers, by the way, the lovely Chev, who is in here, although we've not seen or heard from him, uh, talking about uh, what names to call uh, the hypothetical Chigi offspring. He, he said Hilario Chigi, which I actually think is hilarious. So well done, Chev. Well done, Chev, indeed. Uh, now, uh, Daryl's Darryl, uh, got his hand up. Got another question, Daryl?
0: Yeah, um, it's for Adam, again. He seems... To be He's so popular, isn't he? Yeah. I, I'm,
2: I'm yeah. going to go back to Kenroy. Liam, you know, yeah, yeah, good guy, Liam. Okay. Definitely a good guy. Um,
6: yeah, no, to Adam. Um, I'm just wondering, as someone who covers Chelsea all the time, have you ever had a story or an interview fall through that... Maybe the club have said no, and you sort of you thought actually that could have been a a worldie. but then they've said no, it's not going to happen.
5: Uh, no, no, not f- through the club. I've had a couple of interviews fall through with other clubs um, involving uh, Chelsea Loneys, but no, nothing through Chelsea. Um, as I said, they're they're really good guys. Uh, there out on the comms team and they're very very reliable and helpful. So no nothing like that um in past jobs i've had stories where i've gone to the clubs and then they've either tried to placate me and offer me something else or you you then have to make a decision as a journalist if it's worth running this sort of information you have or if it's worth getting something better down the line and then it becomes quite complicated but um but no nothing nothing with chelsea um in that respect at the moment it's just been pretty smooth sailing um Because since I've come in, you know, yeah, they got rid of Lampard, but then they won the Champions League, won the Super Cup. Not saying I've had any influence on that at all, but hey, it's gone well.
6: Lucky mascot, then
5: (laughs) something like that.
2: Just a follow-up, Adam. I mean, what, what, how are they? I mean, you know, it's similar to what Dara was saying, but you know, what are they, what are they like to deal with on a professional basis? I mean, I know that. I mean, Steve Atkins, for example, I've got a huge amount of time and respect for, actually. I think he's very, very good at what he does. And he's a good bloke, actually. Um, he's kind of gone up to the board, so I suspect he has much less day-to-day dealings with the press. And I can't remember the chaps. Is it Richard or Robert? Something like that. Uh,
5: the people we deal with uh, are sort of Adrian, um, Charlie. These They're younger lads. Um, I think uh, Adrian does a lot of, of stuff with Tuchel, um, and Charlie does a lot of stuff with the first team, and they... Um, Brought in a guy called Joe from Tottenham in the summer as well. Um, mm. but no, they're so so they're, they're all really lovely guys. Um, genuinely, I can't say a bad word about um, them. They're very, very um, as open as they can be with you on 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 sort of a day to day basis. Or if you're at a game, they'll they'll be really you know friendly and chat to you. Um, and obviously, you know, that's the job. We go to them and say, "Can you tell us what's the deal with this?" And they'll uh, they'll probably go, "We can't tell you." And you kind of have to accept that um, and go for other other routes, which is kind of what happens most of the time, um, if not all the time, to be
2: honest. I mean, you know, it's kind of weird. My dealings with them in, in things like that, you know, anything football related. Uh, I mean, in other words, I have, I have dealings with them, if you like, on a business sense with the trust and things like that, where I find them, you know, obstructionist to a degree that, you know, that, put it this way, Hadrian did, did, didn't do half as good a job with his wall, to, <laughs> you know. They are a nightmare, but... On on and anything football related, they're absolutely delightful to work with, and I, I I mean they've been brilliant. I've several. I mean you know the ticket office Graham's been brilliant sorting me out when I've screwed things up, and Steve's been brilliant with PR related stuff, and the foundation have been great with with supporting us in certain stuff. You know, so on that level they're they're a delight to work with. So um yeah, it's good to but hear. I
5: think it's part of the it's part of the job though. Like at the end of the day, there's a lot of stuff we go to the club and go what's the deal with this and understandably they go, well, we can't, we can't comment on that. Yeah. And that's kind of us being far in what we do. Cause you know, 95% of the time that's going to be the response you get because usually the matters we go to the club about are, are delicate matters. Um, but you have to do the the process. Um, but as I say, they're, they're never harsh or, or rude or anything like that. They know we have a job to do. We know they have a job to do and you, you work cordially alongside each other basically
2: okay uh brian you got a question
1: yeah i've sort of been sitting on my hands because we're in this q a and two of my three favorite chelsea authors are in here with uh tim rolls being the third um but i have kind of a question for mark um eddie Mac, eddie Mac is probably my favorite book what was it like tracking down eddie mccready and interviewing him for the book
4: Wow, that is a really good question, Brian. Uh, f- first, I'll say, um, Marco would probably echo, the book was a labour of love. Yeah, you know, you know, I, th- I think it was just an amazing experience. I got tasked with tracking all the players down, um, and Marco would probably come in here as well. And I tried several times to get hold of Eddie and had no joy. Uh, and then out of the blue, Neil Barnett rang me at work one day and he said, like, have you been trying to get hold of Eddie McCready? And I said, well, yeah, we, 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 yeah we're doing a book. And the book won't work without Eddie. Uh, and he said, oh, he's rung me. It's almost like for a reference, like to just basically show I was legit. Because Eddie doesn't do interviews. He rarely does them. Uh, and Neil said, no, he's, he's, he's up for doing an interview. Um, he won't do it, sort of, obviously, because he lived in Memphis. He won't do it over the phone. But if you write to him with the questions you ask, he'll do it by email. So, we, you know, we did it that way. I had a couple of goes uh, and then he came back and it pretty much it's, ri- I don't think we edited much out in the book uh, and he came back with what is in the book and he wrote that all himself. And so i got it as a word document. I emailed it to Marco. I think Marco missed his train stop by about four stops because he was just reading it going, wow, this is brilliant. <laughs> you know, and there's emotional stuff in there and all that thing that, you know, it just, it really sort of blew, blew us away um, and then, sort of, well, the next thing, obviously, we we had we had the um the do under the bridge, and we tried to invite Eddie along, uh, and this is where Dave Johnson comes into his own. You know, we tried and failed, and then Dave, if you know Dave, whatever, Dave is just so persistent. He just persisted with Eddie. I think he must have worn Eddie down in the end. And then I think Eddie's wife Linda, who's an absolute, you know wonderful person, one of the most loveliest couples I think I've ever met in my lifetime. I think Linda said to Eddie, look, you know, you know, they've gone to a lot of trouble, you know, doing the book, you know, putting this event on for you, you know. Uh, So, yeah, I think Linda played a part and Dave played a part, you know, in persuading Eddie to come over. And I think that week we spent with Eddie is probably one of the most memorable weeks of my life. And I think Marco's life and the other guys' lives as well. Incredible man. I'm lucky to have spent a week in his company.
2: Marco?
3: Yeah, I was just going to make make a point. Well, two points. One, I think of all the uh, former Chelsea players, managers, uh, people associated with the club that I've ever been fortunate enough to meet, I think um, Eddie McCready is the humblest of all of them. And he was genuinely stunned by the fact that anyone was interested in his story, let alone would, would turn up en masse to hear him speak. Um, the only other thing I'd say about this was it was the most stressful book um, <laughs> I've ever been involved in, simply because um, we've kind of got things worked out now with a Chelsea supporter who works for a printer Uh very near, very near to um to, to, to Stamford Bridge, who can do everything that I need him to do. Uh, at the time that we did this book, um, I didn't have quite have that luxury and got involved with a printer who who said it was local and it and it turned out the books were being printed in Poland. And I think it was four days four days before this event when everybody who'd paid to attend this event there was about 400 people was getting a free copy of the book. The books were still in Poland. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it was pretty stressful, um, but they turned up and everything was all right on the night.
2: I've got to say that that under the bridge do for the Eddie Mac book launch was is still the best event I've ever been to at Chelsea. It was just absolutely just top draw the whole thing it really really was i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you uh, possibly quite an unfair question marco and, and mark but what what's the, what's the favorite book what maybe that's what's the book you've most enjoyed being involved with since you've been writing books and, and publishing i mean because i mean what people probably most people will know this but you've launched so many you know uh book writing careers as it were at chelsea for which you you, I mean, you've got a tremendous legacy there, but you—you you, know—we should be very grateful for you to, for having done that.
3: Um, I think. Well, a couple of things, really. I, I think one of the most rewarding aspects of sort of doing it—the um, whole Gate Seventeen thing—has has been just a lot of these books have started with discussions on a cold winter morning at the CFC UK stall about four hours before kickoff and somebody come along and say, oh, I've got this idea. What do you reckon? Um, and it gets pushed around. And, um, and then, it, you know, the, the book sort of germinates and, and grows into a few pages and then a few chapters and a few chapters more over a period of time. Um, and it's just great, you know, to, to be involved in that creative process and give people an opportunity to, to get their work out there. Um, so I find that quite rewarding. In terms of the books that I've enjoyed the most, although writing is quite a solitary um, experience and, you know, I've, I've enjoyed writing sort of the the, the, the the novels that I've written, I find that quite immersive. The collaborations are really great fun. So the Eddie McCready book, the first collaboration um, that I did that, put together was the Chelsea Here, Chelsea There book, which was published in 2009. Um, and that was myself, Kelvin Barker and Dave Johnston. And that was kind of the template for doing the for tracking down players and speaking to supporters. And, um, and it worked really well. And they're just like really enjoyable when, when uh, you know, you've, you've got um, everybody gets assigned a task and, <laughs> and you have to deliver on it. Um, but it's all done in quite a light-hearted way. Um, and then Dave redlines everything and says, I don't agree with this, so we're not publishing it. So, <laughs> so, there's, so, there's, so there's, you, I've given up now. I've just stopped arguing. In fact, I've got to the point now, um, there's another collaboration underway at the moment, and I've just said, look, Let's let's put all the submissions into Dave, and then, and then when he sends me what he thinks is the right idea for the book, then, then uh, I'll work it up in, into into a single document, and we can all work on it together after that. So yeah, I mean it's just the collaborative process is really enjoyable, and then you know if there's an event on the back of it, um, that that's quite good fun too. So you know, I, I, I just enjoy all of it. It's, it's, a good hobby. And, you know, it was born out of me, um, having to find something to do. Otherwise I, I wouldn't be here anymore. Um, I was living a fairly chaotic, destructive lifestyle. So this was my way back out of that. And, um, yeah, it's just really good fun. The worst things that you could do.
2: <laughs> well, I think we can all say we're very grateful on both counts for that, Marco. Uh, Mark, what about you? So so many. Um, just, you
4: know, uh, I'd agree. Um, the Eddie Mack book, great, great collaborating with the guys. You know, really enjoy, enjoyable. Said, like, you know, a labour of love putting that book together. I, ironically, um, I did a piece in Chelsea at Chelsea there, and it almost like, you probably say it's brought me out of retirement because... I did the Chelsea Independent fanzine in the 90s and and so many people who, who wrote back then for the Chelsea Independent went on to do books themselves, went on to do other things. I always t- take any blame for introducing Dave Johnson to the written world. <laughs> I, I gave him his first written gig. You know? um, um, uh, but it's just good to see those people you give a writing opportunity to and they've gone on to write books like Walter Otten. You know, I, I know Walter Otten by his real name he he wrote for me in the Chelsea Independent back in the day. You know, so it's just great to see that you know people have just gone on from writing one article to putting putting books books together. Well actually I'd retired. You know, I'd stopped writing at you know and like it was DJ that sort of brought me back in on Chelsea here, Chelsea there. I did sort of one chapter for the book about my experiences of going to Arsenal for the 84 game. Uh, and after that, things flowed. I did something for Martin Knight. And then, as Marco said, we got chatting about, you know, what is the book to do? And I think we all universally agreed that no one had ever done a book on Eddie McCready. You know, I'm so glad we did. Uh, um, and, you know, we can't say, but we are collaborating on a particular project at the moment that hopefully will come out. Well, it has to come out next year, not hopefully, the plans have come out next year. Again, once more, I'm tasked with tracking people down. It's, it's, it's a thing I enjoy. I like, I like meeting former players, talking to them, hearing their stories, you know? So um, again, you know, watch out for the next gate 17 publication sometime round about May or June of next year. Well, there yeah. You go. It'll, be, it'll be a good one. You know, Hopefully we can match it. Yeah, If it's anything like the Eddie McCready book, I'll be really pleased indeed.
2: Well, I, I happen to be privy to what they're talking about, and I can tell you it's going to be a stonker, and I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, and actually, while we're at it, uh, Tim Rose's, uh Sexton for God, uh, the latest Gate 17 publication, uh, I, I had an email from the great man himself saying that uh, the first batch is being posted out. So if you've ordered that on the Kickstarter funding, you'll be getting that soon. Um, he did apologise. Apparently, the, the 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 delivery had been late, and I did. I was tempted to send him a, a tweet saying, "Tim, is is yours another result of the, you know, us kicking out all the European lorry drivers or something, mate?" Because you know that's not a very good excuse. But uh, anyway, it'll be arriving in the post soon. Now. Um uh, was going? I had something else on my mind actually, but it's gone now. But never mind. Um, Brian, uh, you wanted to have a follow up, didn't you, to that? By the looks of it, and I know Matthew Kelly wanted to. He waved his hand at me. So Brian first, then Matthew, and then t'other Matthew's got his hand up. So we'll we'll have a question from the last Matthew, and that will be the last question, I think, tonight because we're we're past nine. So Brian,
1: yeah, I, Marco, have you ever thought about um collaborating with J.K. to do an audio book? Um. Could you just imagine Jonathan narrating Blue Murder? <laughs> <Funny.
3: laughs> uh, J- J.K.'s J.K. I actually feel like I know J.K.'s father. Um, and a- although I I didn't publish his book, I-, I basically did all the technical stuff behind behind it and um, f- did all the formatting, typesetting, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, along the way. Um, we were saying, hey, you know, this would be good as an audio book, or why shouldn't we do an audio book? And I think, I think, uh, JK's got a, he's got a great voice for, um, for, well, for audio. There is, there is actually what there's a book, um, that I published by, um, Vince Cooper called, uh, Blue Army the 25 Men Who Made Chelsea. And we, I'm not entirely sure how far this has got, but, um, Phil Daniels, I don't know if you know Phil Daniels over there. He's a very famous character actor over here. Uh, m- most, most, most notably famous for, for a lot of us for playing Jimmy Cooper in Quadrophenia, um, giving Leslie
2: Ash one on the bus dustbins.
3: Yeah, so yeah, that's it. That's the book. So uh, we had an idea for um, for Phil and to to uh, do an audio b- version of, of this, and he, and he's agreed to do it. Um, but I don't know I don't know where that that went. It, it kind of was one of those things that germinated in lockdown and seems to have got stuck there. So actually that that's a reminder for me to have a chat with Vince to see where that's gone. But yeah, no, I think the, the JK uh, JK to do a football book would be interesting given um, the number of games he's been to over the number of decades. Mm. Uh, but he's tied up with his uh, four books he's got to churn out about his dad now. Yeah,
2: yeah, keep him busy. Of course, if JK was to do an audio version of Blue Murder, you'd never stop him saying Blue Moida. He'd be doing that all the time, wouldn't he? Um, I remember what I was going to say, and Adam, I mean, talking of DJ and Mark giving DJ uh, his kind of first writing break, um, I suppose, in case you were wondering, Adam, uh which you probably do sleepless nights thinking where's chidge's column this week uh, it's all it's all <laughs> dj's fault because actually dj gave me my first break in cfc uk like mark gave dj his first break in the chelsea independence so it's all dj's fault that's what you wanted to know i'm sure uh matthew
1: kelly hello can you hear me we can excellent uh well good evening everyone um Firstly, thank you very much, Chidge, for setting up the community. Uh, I absolutely love the Discord and, and just being a part of things like this. This is fantastic. As somebody who doesn't have a lot of friends to discuss Chelsea with, it's awesome to be able to pick my phone up at any time if I see something related to Chelsea and send a quick message in Discord. I love it. Um, my question is is mainly for Adam, but I think anybody could really contribute with this. Um, so we have four defenders who have contracts set to expire in June? We have uh, Christensen, who will be 26. Uh, Rudiger, who will be 29. Dave, will be 33, and then thiago Silva, 38. So my question is: Based on those four players and in their contract situations, uh, do you have any insight as to who the club is likely to sign? Uh, this is like the time of year where we start to see a lot of the contracts be signed. So. I was just thinking about that coming into today, so figured I'd ask you. So thank yeah, you. No. Uh
5: Christensen's gonna sign a new deal. Um it should be all sorted pretty uh shortly announced and everything. So that that's one. Um with Silver um and Aspi, I think they'll be left quite late to be honest. Um, I'm very certain with, with Silver it's gonna be Tucker's call as to whether or not um he thinks Tiago's still um, got a lot to offer Chelsea next season. Um, I know Tiago really wants to go to the World Cup. That's been one of his, his biggest factors in, in coming to Chelsea in the first place. So um, so I think as P and Silver will definitely be, be made quite late. And I think obviously that will impact what Chelsea do next summer. Um, and with Tony Rudiger, yeah, it, it's such a difficult one to know where this is going to end up. Um, and my gut feeling is that he stays, but there's no hard evidence for that at the moment. So, um, I, so I wouldn't be um, putting any money on it or anything like that. Um, it is an area that Chelsea do have to keep in mind. As you said, you've just, you just gone through the ages of, of three of them, especially are, are approaching or are in their 30s. Um, Jules Kunde is one we know about. Um, Chelsea's interest in him is quite longstanding. i have been tracking him for a couple of years. And, and just because they failed to get him in the summer doesn't mean that they won't go for him again in the future. I, I don't think you can rule that out. Um, there are high hopes within the academy um, for Levi Colwell whether or not he'd be ready to step up from Huddersfield I'm not sure next summer Um, there may be a a loan needed to a Premier League club first but he's definitely somebody that has the the potential to do that Um, beyond that I'm not sure who they'd particularly go for Um, top level centre-backs cost a lot of money now um, which is somewhat why I think they may as well try and hash it out with Rudiger because he's proven himself um, over this year um but no you, you're right to, to flag it up it is an area that chelsea are going to have to to look into um in the next sort of two years because as P can't go on for much longer um which is a shame
1: uh but uh but yes, yeah um yeah Chaloba and alonso their contracts actually expire the the next year 2023 so they're you know it kind of just continues with these defenders and how vital they are to our team. Their their contracts expiring, you know. Yeah, and also with, the market for yeah. For- with with Chaliver, and I, I think this
5: is out there. I don't think I'm, I'm giving exclusive news away at this point. Um, the plan was obviously for him in the summer. The plan was him to go out on loan um, this season, and come back and, and sign a new deal next year because um, mm-hmm. Tuchel really was impressed. But obviously, things got fast tracked a little bit with with that, given the impact he made. Um, there were there are talks ongoing um with with Trevor Chalaba um he will be offered a new contract uh at some point this season um I'm sure they'll, they'll come to an agreement on it as well because he obviously is very happy at Chelsea he's made his dream come true um of, of being in the Chelsea first team so he's definitely one that I see signing um and Marcus Alonso who knows a Marcus Alonso yeah. uh, <laughs> he seems to drop in and out of favour so easily um it's never never easy but um He's on He's on quite a good contract. So uh, I'm not sure Chelsea would want to time down to that same level of contract, given he's entering his 30s as well.
2: All we know, Adam, is that Marcus Alonso runs down the wing for us. And that's all we need to know, really. Uh, good question, Matthew. Um, I mean, I saw Oscar had his hand up. Was it related to that, Oscar? Uh,
3: no,
6: kind of. I wasn't going to just jump in and say, you know, you talk about defenders who could do a job at like Ethan Ampadu, mm. you know, where, where's he gone? You know, he was highly promising young defender. Could he be, could he be like another Ruben and come back, you know, playing with better players? Could he be that, a candidate yeah. to, 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 be in that, in that back four, back three?
5: It's a tricky one with Ethan because he's had two years of not stagnation, but I don't think he's really, really progressed things for himself. Um, obviously his Leipzig loan he didn't play or barely played and, and Sheffield United were, were such a mess last season that he was caught up on all of that. And going to to Venezia in, in the newly promoted Serie A team, bottom of Serie A, I mean, it's a tough sell um, to, to see him to come back. It's, it's a shame because I'm not sure Chelsea have handled his loans that well. Um, and there's still the, the fact that he he probably hasn't established himself in a, in a position yet. Mm. He can play centre-back, he can play as a, as a six, he probably needs to nail down one of those if you're going to come back to Chelsea and really push because, yeah. Um, because, yeah. Just a the, wider
6: point, I just think, sorry, just, end, just a wider point is when we, whenever we loan these players out, be it Billy Gilmore to Norwich, Ethan Abbedou to Sheffield United, is that the right environment to be playing for a struggling team?
1: Yeah,
6: you know, I don't
5: know, you know, like. It's, it's an interesting one now and with Gilmore, I understood the logic in it because Daniel Farker and, and Billy uh, and Thomas Tuchel worked together at Borussia Dortmund. They have quite a close relationship and logically it made sense to park Billy with somebody that Tuchel trusted, who knows what Tuchel is about, who knows what Tuchel's football was about. Norwich have probably been worse than most people expected in these early weeks of the season. They have been absolute crap, to be blunt. Um, and Billy hasn't started or hasn't even played in through the last four, which is concerning. But You saw for Scotland the other night how effective he can be when given responsibility and and in a team that isn't really bad. So I think it's a case-by-case basis. And I do think there is some merit to maybe sticking around at Chelsea and taking your chances from time to time. Um, You kind of look what Ruben's done this year by staying. He's now back in the first-team picture. Tino Andrin was on quite an interesting path last year um, where he stayed around um, and had really won over to but. Um, and going back to kind of a point we were making earlier, Tucker couldn't give him minutes because of, of the other guys he had in his place. And at that point, it became clear that, that Tino had to get out. Um, so I think it is a case-by-case basis. But with someone like Amberdu, I think he really needed this loan to be organised um, properly by Chelsea. And that didn't really happen. Um, there was interest from, from Newcastle this summer, and they were keen to, to get a deal done. But Chelsea basically hung on and hung on and hung on because they were unsure. Um, about their own sort of midfield situation. And then once Chelsea got Saul, then they let Ampadu go. But by that point, Newcastle's interest had ended and Chelsea were kind of just taking what was there for Ampadu. It wasn't that well planned. Um, So there is an element of Chelsea not getting it right all the time. They have improved a lot with their loans, but they don't get it right
2: all the time. Mm, Understandable. Good answer, Adam. Thank you. Uh, Right. Last question of the evening is from Matthew Young.
7: Wow, what an honour. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> just following up on a point uh, to Adam earlier, um, and specifically for Adam, um, do Chelsea know you're a Chelsea fan and has it ever worked in your favour that you're a Chelsea fan with Chelsea or does it actually work against you?
5: Um, they know I'm a Chelsea fan. Um, I don't really know if it's worked against me or for me, to be honest, at this point. Um <laughs> i'd like to think it works for me a little bit but um I say it's difficult with the club they have to be objective i suppose and i guess from their perspective it probably doesn't um actually do make any difference to them if i'm if i am or not um but maybe down the line in the future of hopefully doing these a few years obviously there are there are other chelsea fans obviously liam and, and simon Johnson are both chelsea fans and they and yeah. they both cover the club and have done for a lot longer than me so Maybe that's one so that the, they
2: could answer <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're not, you're not the, I mean, they're not the first either. I mean, there's, there's, there's been plenty of, uh plenty of uh, well-known high profile, you know, in the, in the old days, Adam, when we had newspapers, remember those? Vaguely, um, yeah. yeah. Well, there, I mean, there were plenty, uh, Dave Kidd, he's a, he's a Chelsea fan. Who was that bloke who wrote for the, for the people who was very close to um, Mourinho? Beasley. Yeah, that's the one. Beasley was a big Chelsea fan. I think he was a Villa fan, really, but I could just be being no, kind. No, no, I know. I'm only joking. Is, I'm only joking. He is Chelsea. I'm <laughs> only joking. He is from, he is from was, Birmingham.
7: Was Was Brian Glanville a Chelsea fan as well?
2: I, I think he might have been, actually. I think he might have I remember,
7: been. I remember as a kid reading a book called Goalkeepers are Crazy, which was written by him, mm. and it was about a goalkeeper that went on to play for Chelsea.
2: He might I don't been. think it was about
7: anybody specific, but I'm, I'm sure that's that was the story. So I thought maybe he was, was probably a Chelsea
2: fan. He might, be. I don't know why. I've got a, a weird thought in my head that he might have been a United fan. I can find out, Matthew. And I, if you remind me, I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, and anyway, talk, okay. talking of Matthew, there's another question from Matthew that he's probably forgotten, but I can't resist to ask this one. Uh, it's a follow-up to his uh, rituals question, chaps and he says what rituals have you given up because they don't work i stopped wearing the kit because it one? didn't work in the early 90s <laughs> i i will go first and then i'll go to marco and then mark and and adam uh, if he, if he's still able to speak because he's had he's had so much to he, he expected an easy gig tonight wrong <laughs> uh but i, I the what I, I mean i used to religiously buy match day programs matthew mm. and uh and i was so <clears> skint uh before marco will possibly remember this but i was so skint before the Napoli match, you know where we where we got through to the semi final against was it semi final? It was, wasn't it against Benfica. That um, I didn't buy a programme that night. I mean, basically, I only got a ticket at the last minute because a mate of mine phoned me up when I was at the stall talking to Marco, and uh, he, he said, "Oh, come on, Chidge, I've got a ticket for you. It's only forty quid." And I, I I didn't have a bean on me. I was absolutely my company had just gone down the pan and I had no money. Uh-huh. And I went to the pub. And uh, and said to my mate, I can't mate, I haven't got any money. And then Marco phoned me from the stall saying, Chidge, Chidge, I've just sold a couple of your T-shirts. You better come and get the money. And and lo and behold, it was enough money to go and get this ticket off my mate. So I, I Cinderella did go to the ball in the end. But I didn't buy a programme because I didn't have any cash. And do you know what? I have never bought a programme since. <laughs> so I don't know if, you, if that counts, but there you go. Anyway, well... <laughs> Marco? You're on mute, love. Going to
3: go back quite a while here. Um, I, I, I'm going back. I don't know, Christ, thirty-five years, 1986. <laughs> um, <laughs> I used to have. I used to have this uh, routine where I, I would. I would drink. Um, I would order a pint at, at quarter to three. Drink it. And get into the shed um, oh. before kickoff, uh, and it, and it worked um, right up until uh, we lost five one at home to Watford. Um, oh gosh! Oh, oh! Then, don't stop doing <laughs> this, <it>. fridge. <laughs> so it only la- I think it only lasted about two seasons, um, but it was a, it was a turbocharged way to get very drunk very quickly. Um, which was a good good vo- feeling to have that beer buzz as you got into the shed to sway and uh, sing in there. So, yeah, that was a bit of a weird one. And I, I've, I've, re- stopped, I've stopped walking through West Brompton Graveyard um, before home games now as well. But that was mainly because the gates were locked. <laughs> <I> think-
2: <laughs> Marco, that, that reminds me, uh, I mean, we're going back to about, I don't know, 2000 and mid 2000s right and uh we we beat city 5-1 i think and uh martin had bought me martin levy had bought dr martin bought me five pints of stella in the wheat sheaf beforehand and martin therefore decided that that was clearly the next good luck ritual that however many pints he bought me and i managed to quaff down before kickoff we would we would score the same amount of goals so the next the next week he bought me six pints hoping that that would have the desired effect. Well, it had a desired effect on me, but I think Chelsea lost, so so he gave it up after that. We'd probably, uh, thank, thankfully, for my liver, but there you go. Uh, Mark Meehan, what's your take on this? Right, well, back in the 1980s, we, we
4: used to drink in the Weaver's Arms in Farm Lane, and like Marco, about a quarter to three every Saturday, we used to get a pint in as well, but we didn't have that as a ritual. We call that routine. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, good answer, Mark.
4: Yeah, so we, 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 we always missed the kickoff off uh, back, back then. Um, uh, but no, I've never really been that superstitious. The only time I really was superstitious, um, during the sort of 2011-12 season, yeah, and you mentioned the Napoli game as well, um, really got into a band, called, um, American band in Kentucky called Blackstone Cherry. So I went. I went to see Blackstone Cherry, and I wore a Blackstone Cherry t-shirt. I think I might have worn it to the Napoli game or one of the earlier rounds, and we won. And there was no ritual, or anything like that. And I think I wore it again to another game in the Champions League. We won again. So I, I decided to wear it out to Barcelona um, for the semi-final, and obviously we know what happened um, in Barcelona that night. Um, so. Um, um, I wore it to Munich. So there's this photo of me. I think it was either the sun or the day after the game, the the World, or the Guardian has got this photo of me with a Chelsea flag. And everybody wore out their blue shirt, you know, to um, Munich. And there's me with a grey Blackstone Cherry shirt, you know. Um, so I did carry on wearing it the following season, but uh, I wore it to West Brom away, Um And obviously we lost at West Bromwell Way and shortly afterwards, um, sadly, Di Matteo got got the tin tack. So I don't think I've ever won a Blackstone Cherry to a Chelsea game ever since. Uh, I think the only other one I remember is not me, but like, you know, my my daughter used to wear pink earmuffs that proved to be a lucky charm. Um, And also um, when we struggled to get tickets for her, any time we had a really important game... um, Sort of like a semi-final at Wembley for an FA Cup, we managed to wangle a ticket. We always to one, so now she's almost become a, a lucky charm. That if we ever get to another cup final, we have to make sure my friends say that she gets a ticket because we never lose at Wembley when she's there. And mm. she didn't have a ticket for the cup final against Leicester this year. That's probably why we lost. There
2: we go. i very much That's looking. Look, i very much look forward to seeing Mark, me, and in, in pink earmuffs at the next uh, home game, uh, and I will take a that photograph. Tonight, haven't I? You what?
4: i've done pink twice pink t-shirt
2: pink yeah i think i think maybe the pink t-shirt and pink earmuffs combo at the store and i would get a picture of it mark that'd be one for the ages as they say Uh, right last word to adam what about your rituals mate what have you given up
5: um nothing really to be honest i mean say i I had i wore the same hoodie for the champions league run in 2012 and that was about it to be honest i I don't know. Maybe maybe there's still time for me to form one. Um, I try and sit in the same press seat now. Um, now we're allowed in the press box again this season. But yeah, I, I haven't. I'm not really superstitious about it. To be honest, I'm quite relaxed about football. Um, more so now than I ever used to be. Uh, maybe that's because of what I do. But uh, but yeah, I try and detach myself a little bit just because. I remember when I was a kid, I just could. I, when Chelsea lost the Champions League final in 2008, uh, I was in a mood for like a week. Um, and my mum was like, that's not really healthy. And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. So I've tried to just bring myself <laughs> back a little bit from that.
2: Very sensible. I think you have given up one ritual, Adam, and that's pre match drinking.
5: Yeah, but I'm not a huge drinker anyway. Oh. So it wasn't um, a huge thing for for me to have to go up to be honest. I'm not a big beer fan.
2: No, so. I was, I was going to say, well, you, it's a shame. We should, I was thinking of maybe getting together you, me, Simon, and Cundy for a post match bevy, but. Uh... I can do that. I can have a drink. Well, we should try and do that. I've been meaning to catch up with them for absolutely bloody ages. So maybe we should uh, we should sort that out before I run, before I drive. Well, maybe make it a day where I don't have to bloody drive back to Winchester and I'm actually on the train. But uh, there we go. Um, right. I think uh, I've, we've managed to extract an extra half an hour uh, over budget. Uh, but uh, considering we've got Mark Meehan on the show, I see that as uh, quite, quite short change, really. And normally we'd be still going for about three and a half hours, wouldn't we, Mark?
4: Uh, we're, we're we're finishing early tonight, uh, and just, just a quickie because before, otherwise I'll forget. Just want to wish happy birthday to a friend of mine, big Chelsea fan. Uh, it's his wife Ruth's birthday this week, and his daughter, fantastic name. His daughter is called Love. Yeah, so we were talking about names earlier. So it's both Ruth and Love's d- um, birthdays this week. Ruth Warner, Love Warner, happy birthday to you both
2: lovely stuff i echo that of course um right i'm sadly that is all we've got time for uh tonight it's been great fun i have to say i really enjoy doing these uh we will be back this friday with me jk martin wickham providing i phone martin up and remind him because i forgot to tell him in the first place uh and sam incasol uh in attendance to look ahead to saturday's match against brentford and the chelsea fancast friday night preview show we've also got uh billy the bee uh, Billy Grant who's uh, a very well known face beyond Brentford but he's like the main main kind of man at Brentford in terms of podcasts and stuff. Uh don't forget to check out Dean's Went to Mo Kings Meadow podcast on the Chelsea FC women's team. Uh we've dropped one yesterday for you. There may well be another one. You never know with Dean, they just appear like magic and then I I publish them. Of course this little thing here is available as a podcast on chelseafancast.com, Acast, Apple, SoundCloud and Spotify as well as other maybe not so good podcast distributors. And uh, as you probably know, uh, most of our guests, all of our guests tonight have come to us via the beauty of Patreon. And uh, actually, it's a really good opportunity for me to actually thank you all personally. Normally, I just waffle on about it here, don't I? But actually, it really is appreciated. And uh, honestly, it would be a struggle to do this without your tremendous support. I mean, not only do you support by getting involved which is the kind of the main thing but you support by putting your hand in your pocket and i love you all for it so thank you very very much really appreciate it uh and if you want to do likewise out there it's easy to do just go to patreon.com forward slash chelsea fancast and as i said you know there's no i mean i'm sure these guys would uh, you know attest to this there's really no pressure from me you know as little as you want as much as you want there's no pressure you do get a mini Kerry Dixon banner, of course, for the privilege. And you get to join in the uh, the Discord group and all the chat, which we enjoy doing on a on a daily basis. And occasionally we do do things like a QA and a show and you can come and join on this. So it's it's not without a few benefits, that's for sure. Other than that, of course, you know that you can send emails in any time you like to chelseafancast at gmail.com. Or you can just drop us a message on Patreon, Discord, Instagram, Twitter. You know, you name it. Get you know how to get in touch with us, and if you do, we'll try and get them read out on the show. Um, you can follow me, obviously, at Stanford Chidge, Chelsea at Fancast at Chelsea Fancast, Marco at Gate Seventeen, Marco, uh, Mark at Eddie Mac B A W A. That's a Blue and White Army, but in short form. Uh, and of course, the lovely Adam Newson at Adam Newson. And of course, don't forget, we're Chelsea Fancast at Chelsea Fancast on all the socials. And big up to the lovely Dane, of course, for doing our Instagram account as well. So there we go. Um, uh, all of you guys who have turned up from Patreon, um, you know, I, I've really enjoyed seeing you all in here. It's lovely to put a few faces to names that I didn't know. Lovely to see a few people that I do know uh welcoming them back Uh, i hope you've really enjoyed it we've really enjoyed having you here so i I really do hope you've enjoyed it you can take yourself off mute and say so if you wish to and awesome thanks a lot Uh, cheers matt no problem at all lovely yeah cheers matthew no problem at all cheers cheers gabriel there you go we've had loads of you i would name you all but there's quite a few of you so (laughs) well it will be three hours if i don't shut up soon so there you go. Uh, and as for uh, Adam, Adam, always a pleasure. You, the first time you've done one of these for us, isn't it? Have you enjoyed it?
5: Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. I always love talking to Chelsea fans and
2: you guys. Yeah, it's lovely. Always, it's always a pleasure having you on the show, as you well know. I'm really sorry uh, about the uh, the 90, the 50 years of Chelsea, 98, 99. But it's all Mark's Another fault.
5: Another time. Another time. It's, all good. it's all good. charged.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I think Mark should take it as a badge of honour because the minute you told me, I said, well, that's it then. We can't do the show. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you are the bloody show. You know, so (laughs) no, Mark, no show. It's that simple. We do hope to do it sometime around the weekend of November the 12th, 13th, 14th. But Mark and I are busy as hell that weekend. So it might be, we might end up doing it on the Monday, actually, Adam. So if you're going to be free on the Monday that might like be fifteenth, that would probably be the 15th it's the international oh, it's
5: My daughter's third birthday so i might have trouble on that one but uh but we'll see how it goes we'll
2: maybe it goes. the sunday because i i mean i'm mark's busy on the friday i'm busy on the saturday but i'm not I'm busy, busy on, the, on the saturday as well yeah yeah you're busy on the saturday because he's going to wheelston again and what about the sunday could be maybe maybe what we do is do it on a sunday
5: yeah, we'll work it out. We'll
2: right. work it out. All right. Uh, and uh, Mark, uh, as always, delightful to see you. Always is. Uh, have you enjoyed it tonight?
4: Really enjoyed it. Great to see everyone online. Really yeah. enjoyable meeting everybody. You know, you know, love to do it again sometime.
2: Yeah, well, Fantastic. Well, maybe over the international break, Mark, but you won't be on that one. You, you, ne- you never know. You never know. <laughs> but it's lovely to see you as always. And last, but no means least, my lovely dear old friend, Mr. Mark Worrell, the uh, who—it's funny you mentioned Chelsea here, Chelsea there earlier actually, Mark, because I think that's when we had we we certainly had you on a, a guest, and I think we had you on as a guest before that. So you're definitely one of the originals, mate. Yeah, I think it
3: was 2008, was it? Yeah,
2: you were our first guest. That I do know. Maybe. Definitely, so it's lovely, lovely to see you as always, mate. No,
3: no, thanks for having me on. Enjoyed it. It's great to see sort of faces that you chat with on Twitter, animated and talking. It's
2: great. Yeah, it's lovely. I really, I really enjoy these. They are great fun. Thank you to the boys for, for you know, giving up their time as generously as they do. Thank you to all the people who have joined us from Patreon and Discord. Of course, thanks to all the lovely people who've been listening in on Mixler as well. Uh, I need to go and have some soup and some toast and then edit and publish this to some ungodly hour tonight. But uh, for those of you who weren't here live, I hope you enjoy it half as much as we have But until then, thank you for listening. See you next week. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, and keep it Chels. Up the Chels! chels. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around.